unlike the other gods of kill. There's a maniac who seeks to end us all. We must do something. Times like this, we need to come together. Episode 430. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about pop culture and all that. Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat. But it's all been done before. We don't want to be a copycat. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps. Dropped by the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. Good it toss it, good it taste. Do we love it? Hey, let's face it. Can't erase it. Let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture carryover. Culture push over pop culture. Leftovers. And for the uncool kids, what's to say has already been said. Leftovers. Pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this pop culture. Leftovers. Hello, this is Randall Park, and you are listening to Pop Culture Leftovers. Hey, welcome to Pop Culture Leftovers, the only podcast that sounds even better the second day after it's been uploaded. I'm Brian. I'm Jake. And, and we're, we're the, the leftovers. leftovers. Jake. Yes. How you doing? I'm great. Yeah, man. Hey, got a question for you. Let me hear it. What do Lady Sif and the drummer for Def Leppard have in common? <laughs> well, the Bloodhound Gang taught me that the drummer from Def Leppard only has one arm. So I, uh, think, I, I think that's it. No, Jake. They're both very talented and super good at what they do. That's what I was thinking. I didn't, oh, Jesus. I'm the asshole. I didn't think of that. Jesus. Anyway. <laughs> oh, man. We got a roundtable of guests. Going to go through them here. <laughs> go through all of our guests here in a moment. But uh, I'm telling you, I cannot wait to talk to you guys. We watched something so super amazing this week and i cannot wait to break it down um but enough about the season three finale of the boys because we're here today to talk about thor love and thunder and i've got joe stark here welcome joe hey stoked to be here absolutely and uh shifton tristan brown welcome shifton tristan i'm also happy to be here yes happy to be here uh paul hart from the apple to oranges podcast welcome paul Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be on. Handy Greg from Amazing Home Projects with Handy Greg on YouTube. Thank you, my friends. And from PopCultureLeftovers.com, Stephanie Chapman. Let's rock and roll. There you oh, you're, stick, <laughs> you're sticking a, you're like, you're like uh, Mighty Thor trying to come up with catchphrases in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I think you settled on Let's Rock and Roll. I have. I like it. It feels yeah, good. It feels good. It just feels right. It does. <laughs> Guys, we, yeah, we're talking about the uh, second Taika with TT Thor movie. This is the fourth, fourth Thor movie. We've come a long way 
from Thor number one, back when Kevin Feige was making Chris Hemsworth dye his eyebrows blonde. <laughs> so cringe. It is. Have you gone back and looked at it? Oh, my God. It's it's jarring to see him. It is very jarring. And like those pictures. <laughs> it's like even in this movie, they showed some flashbacks to that one. I'm like, oh, there he is. Blonde eyebrow Thor. It's <laughs> super creepy. <laughs> anyway, we are going to have spoilers for Thor Love and Thunder. And uh, from this point on, this is your official spoiler warning. This is a pop culture leftovers spoiler warning. Today's forecast calls for spoilers straight in your dick hole. You have been warned, spoiler pussies. All right, synopsis for Marvel Studios Thor Love and Thunder. Thor finds... Uh, Thor Love and Thunder finds the God of Thunder on a journey unlike anything he's ever faced, a search for self-discovery. But Thor's retirement is interrupted by a galactic killer known as Gore the God Butcher, who seeks the extinction of the gods. To combat the threat, Thor enlists the help of King Valkyrie, Korg, and ex-girlfriend Jane Foster, who, to Thor's surprise, inexplicably wields his magical hammer Mjolnir as the mighty Thor. Together, they embark upon a harrowing cosmic adventure to uncover the mystery of the God Butcher's vengeance and stop him before it's too late. This film is directed by Taika Waititi, who co-wrote the script with Jennifer Caton Robinson. It stars Chris Hemsworth as Thor, alongside Christian Bale as Gore, Tessa Thompson as Valkyrie, Jamie Alexander as Lady Sif, Taika Waititi as Korg, Russell Crowe as Zeus, and Natalie Portman as Jane Foster, Mighty Thor. Thor Love and Thunder has a runtime of 119 minutes and an estimated budget of $250 million. Uh, Oh, yeah, I wanted to point this out. It was revealed by Taika Waititi that they didn't use the comic book accurate gore because of the similarities to Voldemort, which is something that I had talked about on a previous episode. I actually have some audio of Taika, and this is from an interview that he had with IGN. I wish it didn't have the stupid background music, but it does. His face in the comics, you know, unfortunately does kind of resemble um, Voldemort, you know, as I was saying. It's just good. People are just automatically going to sort of like make that connection. So we decided just like depart from that design a bit more and like still, you know, keep elements of like the tone um, and the fact that he had the sword. But um, really it was about his story. It was the most important thing for us. All right. So, yeah. Uh, Joe, what do you think, man? I Before we really dive into this, I, I want to ask you, since you're a big fan of the comic, and I know that there's probably other people on the podcast that have read it as well, but I know you're a big fan. What did you think? Yeah, I don't know. Did you want to talk about that in your actual rating? Oh, no, I can get into it right now. That's no problem. Yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan of the source material. Uh, this covers a couple different runs that Jason or Aaron did. Uh, uh, Thor, God of Thunder is where we see uh, the God Butcher. And then the Mighty Thor is where we get Jane Foster playing the Mighty Thor. Um, yeah, I, 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 I got to tell you, dude, I, I kind of think that they did Jason Aaron a little dirty with the adaptation of the gore storyline, but I think the Jane Foster one was done well. Um, well, so I just I, wanted I, to talk about the look of gore. I didn't really want, I don't really want to get into okay, other sure, things. Sure. Just the look. I'll, I'll keep it more, fo- more focused. Um, yeah. In terms of the look of gore, um, I, I understand why they did, why they did it. Um, I, I still think that they, that CGI technology has come along 
enough that they could have done it and made it look all its own. Um, I mean, sure, there are some similarities there. It's it's a pasty white dude with with sharp teeth who doesn't have a nose. But, you know, the gore in the comics guy has a lot more differences. He's got kind of like face tentacles hanging off. And, and the cloak he wears in the comics is black, and it's really more of like a symbiote. And the, the necrosword is part of that. So, I mean, they did do quite a big difference in the, the look of the character. Um, but I guess you can argue that all the different facial stuff uh, Kevin or Christian Bale did comes through better without all that. But I, I would have liked to have seen at least an attempt at some test footage. I guess that's hard to do with a, a, C, a CGI rendering, though. You know what? Let me just say this real quick. I personally think that they should have went with a comic book accurate look. I think that, you know, you know with t- the technology that they possess, I mean, making the Hulk still look like Mark Ruffalo, um, still making Thanos look like Josh Brolin. And to be quite honest with you, they had a character that looked kind of similar with Ebony Maw, and it worked. So oh, I, yeah, Absolutely. I'm not buying it. I think that, it, I mean, you can make comparisons to, to what we saw in this movie, you know, to, you know, I've made comparisons to Uncle Fester from the Adams family. I've made, you know, people have made comparisons <laughs> to, you know, the Grim Reaper and Bill and Ted's bogus journey. So I think, you know, I don't know. That's just my personal opinion. I would like to have seen, um, I mean, if they were ever to release what it would look like. If they went with a com- comic book accurate gore, I'd be interested to see what it would look like in live action. But we'll never get it. I just wanted to know your thoughts on that, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> and to kind of go back on what I said about you know the uh, facial expressions and stuff coming through, they really was able to capture that with Thanos really well. So I don't even really buy that as an excuse. Yeah, I agree. I, I do agree. And I'm sure not everyone will. Uh, but it's, it's fine. I, I guess... I just think it looked, you know, looked a little bit more menacing. Sometimes I don't like the way that they, like the final look that they give us with some of these villains. I was kind of not the biggest fan of like the final look of of Ultron as well. I thought one of the earlier iterations of Ultron looked better than the final version that we got. So, you know what? Yeah, he became a Transformer. Yeah, yeah, he became a Transformer. (laughs) There was that moment where like he was all kind of like, jacked up and shit and i was like man that looks like that looks like ultron and then the the looked look changed from there and i wasn't a fan but let's jump into our ratings for thor love and thunder if this is your first time listening here is our rating system the rating system is simple if the leftovers don't like something they toss it if they do like something they suggest you taste it and if it's brilliant it gets a tupperware rating if all the leftovers love it, then it gets the pinnacle of success, a Tupperware party. All right. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to start with my rating first. Uh, we did a bonus Thor Love and Thunder reaction episode. Very non-spoilery. But I already I already get my rating on that episode. And um, maybe, you know, I thought maybe to myself it might change upon second viewing, maybe even third viewing. I've seen it three times, seen it uh, once at the press screening, uh, second time at in IMAX, and then the, this last time I wanted to watch it in 3D and see how it was in, in the 3D. Um, I am still at a middle-of-the-road taste-it uh, for Thor, Love, and Thunder. Um, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I liked about this movie. I really, really liked the relationship uh, between 
Thor and Jane Foster in this. I thought that that was awesome and depicted very well. Um, more about Mighty Thor. I, I, lo- <laughs> I, I loved, uh, Jane's arc in this. I mean, it, you know, from pulling from the comic book that she, that she does have cancer in this one and that she's dying and just her having like this new kind of life as a, as an Asgardian god and using Mjolnir and, and her excitement. And I mean, it was, it was awesome. I really thought that that was touching and special and, um, just how excited she would get to, to become Thor coming up with her own catchphrases like eat my hammer and the, you know, it, uh, like, um, what? Oh, she like flies out of the, she's ready to go take on Gore, find the kids. And, and she says something like, like, let's go ride the rainbow or something like that. I'm just like, she's not good at this, but she's having fun. Like who wouldn't want to think of like cool catchphrases for like when they're a superhero, even, even Thor was doing it in this movie. He was, you know, what was his, it was something like, um, this ends here and now. And it was just like, you know, (laughs) Thor's doing it. Like that's part of being a superhero. That's what, that's what a lot of people I think would, would do if they were, um, so I did love, I did love that stuff. I absolutely loved all the Thor. It, it's the love part of the story that I, I fell in love with. I thought Taika really pulled that off and did a wonderful job here with that. Um, what I did not like, uh, I feel like, and I said this in the earlier, uh, review that I feel like Taika tried to pull off the exact same trick that he did in Ragnarok that worked because, you know, we'd had two previous Thor movies that weren't great. I liked the first one. The second one was just not good. Um, the, uh, and, and then Taika comes along and does something very brilliant and fun and, and gave us new characters that we've, that we fell in love with. And, and I absolutely loved that whole arc with the Hulk and the Revengers and Valkyrie. You know, I just loved it, but I've already seen this trick and we, he really didn't do anything new here in my opinion. Um, I think he did gore. I think he did gore. I think Bale did justice to like what he was given. I think Bale was great. But I think Taika and the writing here, I think they did Gore dirty a little bit. He's Gore the God Butcher and Gore going around butchering gods. We get the one scene at the beginning with Rapu and then basically it is like the killing of the gods is seen on screens when we're introduced to the Guardians. And like that whole sequence of the gods dying on screens, it was like if you were at like a Disney amusement park and there was like a Thor love and thunder ride. This is like something they would show you while you're waiting in the three hour line. And totally. And so I felt like that did gore a little dirty. I think there should have been like uh, moments that we spent with him going around and killing gods. Gore, the God butcher. Um, and I want to talk about another problem I have with Gore here in a second. Um, Gore enlisting uh, uh, Thor enlisting kids to fight Gore at the end. I felt was one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. 
it's I don't know. And you guys may disagree. I, I, I have no idea. But it's just like this whole like anybody can be a superhero thing. I think we're doing that with Jane here. We don't need to do it with a group of Asgardian kids that were kidnapped and have them turn stuffed animals into weapons and use them. I, I just thought it was I thought it was a silly scene. I mean, fucking gore shadow creatures and shit, you know, using and we're going to fight them with children. And like the kids at the beginning of that fight say like, well, we're not trained. We're not warriors. And then as soon as the fight ensues, these kids are using combos and fighting like they're in a Tekken video game. It was like kids are sweeping the leg and shit like they went through Cobra Kai. It was <laughs> it was literally that. It was not kids like fumbling and and fucking up because they're not trained warriors. These kids look like skilled fighters after they just got done saying that they're not warriors. And I was just like, OK, what's going on here? We're sacrifice. We're sac. This whole thing shouldn't have been done, in my opinion, um, with the kids and the fighting and giving them the powers of Thor against Gore, against Gore, a serial uh, killer. You you unleashed a bunch of children against a serial killer. Yeah. Um. Another thing that I had a problem with, and maybe I'm being nitpicky, and maybe I don't know if anybody's thought about this, but let me break this down to you. Um. He's the God Butcher. His main goal is to kill the gods. What is his end game at the end of this? Is to go to eternity, a cosmic entity that's above all the gods. The only creature that's above eternity in the comics is the Living Tribunal. And then there's only one god in front of him, like the ultimate god of Marvel. So it's like, eternity is like, Basically a god himself. But Gore is going to another god to ask the to wish to kill the other gods. I mean, I don't know. My gore from the comics, and I hate to say my gore, because I'm not I don't own it. I mean, I hate saying I shouldn't say that. That's a dick thing to say. My gore. But anyway, it's like I would think that the gore from the comics would have fucking got to eternity and fucking cut his head off with the Necrosword. It tried. But this is a gore that's going to go to eternity and ask to kill all the other gods. It's like your whole – I don't know if that makes sense to anybody. Like he's like, I want to kill all the gods, yet I'm going to go to basically this other godlike creature and make a wish to kill the gods. I think like maybe the end game there would be like cut off eternity's head or something and you know kill the gods one by one for what they've done. Make them – fucking feel his wrath and um i don't know I, I i just i didn't like that i maybe not do the whole eternity thing and you know the wish shit anyway but what keeps this at a taste it for me and keeps me from tossing and i think there's a too, way too much humor in this to be quite honest with you like the scene with sif and Joking about how, like, you know, you're not dead. You're, you know, you, you didn't die in battle. Maybe your arms in Valhalla. I'm like, that's just over the top humor for the sake. It's like Taika's trying to out Taika himself in this movie with the jokes. It's rapid fire. And it's like, I mean, I appreciate the moments of levity in Marvel movies. This was just too much, in my opinion. So, um, yeah, I keep it at a taste of it because I love 
the Mighty Thor stuff. I love the Thor and Jane relationship stuff. That stuff really worked. That stuff really hit. So it's 50-50 for me. That's where I'm at. I'm going to taste it. Um, Paul, where are you at, man? Hey. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. So um, back in 2012, I got so into comics. Uh, it was Saga, and then it was Jason Aaron's uh, Thor at the end of 2012. And I was reading that monthly and I remember the God butcher arc was just so great. I mean, there's like three issues where it's just gore and Thor in a cave and it's so gritty. Like he's such a gritty horrifying villain villain. I get all this stuff about gore, but then I remember just being on the edge of my seat for the mighty Thor story arc and you know like every month it's like who could this be and you know it it was like a big mystery and it was such an amazing reveal when they did it and a lot of that like kind of plays into the movie because in the comics they kind of gave you like a red herring of oh it can't be jane foster because she's suffering through this and then when you find out it's her you're like oh god this is amazing but um like Based on all of that, like the gore stuff, I totally agree with. Um, I do think there's a lot of comedy that maybe could have been given more towards building gore as a very terrifying villain that I know. Like, and you know what, Brian? I, I, I don't I don't think it's a dick move. Like, I say that's my gore from the comics, too. Like, like I, I developed such a love for that character, and I felt like it was a different dude on screen but like uh, yeah i just don't want to feel i don't want to come off like i'm the i'm the gatekeeper of gatekeeper of marvel and like that's not my gore it's like this is the movie we got and i accept it for what it is i'm not gonna fucking hate tweet taika because (laughs) what what he did here so yeah no um i i am gonna give it a tupperware because it, it, it it's so crazy the first two Thor movies, I i mean, the first one I really enjoyed. The second one, as everyone will say, was uh, terrible. But then, like, uh, you know, Ragnarok came out. I'm like, how am I relating to, like, the strongest, mightiest Avenger? Like, if there's any character in the MCU I should uh, relate to, it's Martin Starr's character from the Spider-Man movies, uh, Mr. Harrington. But and I'm like, OK, after Ragnarok, I, I'm not going to relate to him anymore. And then uh, Love and Thunder comes along and I know there's going to be some spoilers, but just like the impact it had on me as, you know, like Thor kind of became a teacher to the kids. And I get like them using combos, but like as a teacher, you try to see like the awesome strength in every kid. You know, you got that shy kid that brings their stuffed animal to class every day because they're so so shy but that's kind of what gives them their power so like to me i'm like oh dude that's so fucking cool and i get it can be like an eye roll and then i know this is like a spoiler thing but dude seeing thor as now a single dad just i was like okay i need to like get all the kleenex right now because this is just hitting me on every level. So like on an emotional standpoint, this is the highest of Tupperware's to me. This gave me such a joy to watch. I'm fist pumping, seeing all these kids with the odds stacked against them, fighting to get their way out. Thor sees the power inside of them. It's such a dramatic shift where we met him in the first Thor. And now he's got this, you know, he's faced these crazy odds. And now 
he's doing it by himself with a young little girl who's not even his, and he's just trying to do it day by day. And I just thought it was a beautiful thing to see. So for me, it's a Tupperware. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I like, Paul, and and but I just can't get past some of the other stuff in this. But I'm glad you enjoyed the movie, so that's awesome. Tupperware from Paul. Uh, Tristan. Okay, um, I saw this movie twice, and my rating went up the second time. Um, it's definitely – it was a little jarring when I saw it the first time because it was definitely much more – comedic than I anticipated. And this is just a storyline that has so many emotional elements to it. And you, you would think that, you know, just given Joe the rabbit and stuff like that, the Taika would really like let those emotional elements simmer. Um, but I felt the movie was just basically a comedy. Um, and once I got past that on my second viewing and just kind of took it for what it was, I enjoyed it a lot more. Um, I laughed audibly multiple times. Um, and even in my second viewing, I would laugh at the same shit that I laughed at before. Like it's, I found a lot of the jokes to hit really well. Um, I think Chris Hemsworth really falls into the character in this movie. And I feel that in this movie, he's the most comfortable as, as Thor that we've ever seen. Um, I think Jane was tolerable for the first fucking time. Um, I felt that she, uh, <laughs> I thought that she was, uh, I really liked, um, as you mentioned earlier, I really liked how she kind of fell into this character and changed personalities and kind of owned the whole superhero thing. She was 10 times more interesting than she's ever been before. And um, I think the chemistry between her and Thor was great in this movie because that, that was always a criticism that they had no fucking chemistry really in those first two movies. And I felt that, you know, that the chemistry that they displayed in this film was was just on a much more substantial level than before. Um, I thought the pacing was great. It moves really fast. Um, but at the same time, I feel that a lot was left on the cutting room floor. I heard there's a four-hour edit somewhere. And it shows because a lot of things just felt very abrupt. A lot of things felt like uh, like they weren't allowed to manifest or, or, or develop. And I'm pretty sure a lot of stuff just got left on the cutting room floor. And I would like to see a longer edit of this movie. Um, I thought that... Tristan, uh, it's just more jokes, dude. You think it's just jokes? <laughs> it's just more jokes, man. I mean... Also, he it's did... not more gore or anything? <laughs> I don't, I don't... 45 more minutes of goat screams. Uh, yeah. It's, it's just Valkyrie, like, pulling out more weapons and shit. I'll be honest with you. I think that there might... I, I don't know. I mean, do you pull out some of, like... I mean, we... Like, when you say something like that... I'm wanting to believe that you're thinking like there's more, um, I don't know, darker stuff and meat. Like killing gods and shit. Sure. Like killing gods and, and, and something to tie us more to his daughter, to Gore's daughter, because I felt we didn't have enough time with her to really give a shit. I think, I mean, that's wishful thinking because all this movie showed me is that Taika likes, he's a cut up. He likes jokes. And it's like, I, I'm glad that people, you know, and I like, I love good jokes too, but I mean, this was just, I mean, from Zeus being a Harlem Globetrotter spinning the Thunderbolt <laughs> on, I mean, come on. It's, it's, it, this movie, I can't imagine that this four hour cut is going to give you what you're saying here. That's wishful thinking, in my opinion. I think they yeah. cut out more jokes, Tristan. <laughs> just a bunch of outtakes, huh? 
Yeah, I, I agree with Brian. I mean, Tyka's very famous for the Ragnarok for doing lots of ad lib and not really adhering to the script. So I think a lot of that cutting room floor stuff is them just clowning around. Possibly. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, I just wish that they developed a lot of these things more because I feel that there's a really good movie there. Like if you just take these fantastic characters, these great actors, these wonderful visuals, these uh, these emotional storylines, like a really epic movie is there. And I feel that like a really epic movie was lost um, by the choice to just make this slapstick. And I and I'm not saying go back to, you know, Thor one and two, but I feel like there's a good balance between Ragnarok and maybe the first Thor that would have been a better tone for this. And um, but but I still enjoyed it. As I mentioned, the second time I saw it, I just took it as a fucking comedy and I was just laughing my ass off and enjoying the visuals, enjoying the music. I thought the soundtrack is great um, and all the songs fit very well. The score was great. Um, my criticisms is that. Something you mentioned earlier, Brian, is that the MCU is is just giving everybody superpowers. And that's a little annoying because at one point there was Iron Man. And now it's like everybody's a fucking superhero. And I can understand, you know, adding one or two here, you know, the Mighty Thor, uh, you know, another character here and there. But it just seems to me that every franchise now is just having a main character with a whole fucking uh, ensemble of superheroes with them. And that's just taking away from the specialness of, of being a fucking superhero. Um, I think that's, uh, you know, my main criticism of, of the film as uh, aside from the fact that just jokes are just coming out of nowhere um, in places where I feel they shouldn't have been. I felt the emotional elements where Gore was, uh, where Gore was having these very heartfelt moments were, were, were shat upon because they felt out of place. They didn't feel like they're in the same movie as the rest of the film. It felt like as if, uh, you know, we're watching so that, the beginning seems like we're watching a fucking, you know, short film in the very beginning. It doesn't, doesn't even feel like it belongs in this film. And um, the, the moment Tristan, at the end real well, quick, real quick. There was yeah. a there was a guy in my theater when the movie started and they showed yeah. that scene of Gore yeah. on the desert planet and him and his child dying. He yeah. turned to someone behind him and he said, hey. I'm in Thor Love and Thunder, right? This is the Thor movie, right? Yeah, yeah. Because it did. It felt like a different movie. So. Well, the per- I went to see it. The first time I saw it, I, I went with someone, and she actually said, oh, um, um, do you think I have time to run and get something before the movie starts? And I said, this is the fucking movie. <laughs> 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 but, uh, but yeah, like it's um, – it just felt like it felt like these great scenes that were part of a different cut. Like it just felt like Taika was going for something different um, in these gore scenes and it just doesn't fit. And, and the resolution at the end felt very abrupt. Um, Thor gaining that daughter, which is, which is cool. I, I agree with you, Paul. Like that's, I do like seeing dead Thor, but I just felt it was very unearned. It's like, like why would Thor have an obligation to take care of this kid? Like he has no obligation to Gore at all. He doesn't even know the guy, um, and has no obligation to do this. But um, like, can I play devil's advocate with you there? Yeah, yeah. His obligation wasn't to Gore; it was to Jane. But well, why would why would Jane even care? I, I mean, not necessarily well, I know. Yeah. care about the kid, but like, why would like I would have I would have 
really I would have preferred Thor's daughter or adopted daughter to be like Jane's daughter or something like that. You know, she had a kid before they met. I'm well, sorry, totally. she had a she had a kid before she got back with him and he takes care of her kid or something. That would be a, that'd be a fucking amazing. But it's like, what's your obligation to this to her father? <laughs> you know, her father tried to kill you and made your life hell. You know, it's like, yeah, but at, at the same time, I felt, you know, the, the film is really entertaining. It, it has great repeat viewing um, value. I enjoyed it. And I actually look forward to seeing it again, just taking it as it is. Um, so it's just a high tasted for me. Okay. High tasted from Tristan. Another yeah. thing, I, real quick, I, one thing I forgot to mention is I, I had a big problem with just using children as like a plot device in this, not because, because it's like, okay, here's my thing. It's like, in order to get Thor to trap Thor, he steals the kid, which is like, steals the, takes the kid, kidnap the kids and puts them in this fucking cage. And I'm thinking to myself, like, the thing that should bring Thor to you is not kidnapping the future of Asgard, the children. It should be the fact that this guy is going around slaughtering gods. That should be enough to get Thor's attention. We don't have to yeah. have it all kind of uh, revolving around these children just so you can get this scene of kids fighting at the end of the movie with stuffed animals and shit. So I, I didn't I, – I felt and like – Yeah. I also didn't understand why he would be so fucking bent on – killing thor because thor couldn't bring back his daughter anyway he's not that kind of god you know it's not like he could have really done anything well i think he just wants to kill all the gods at this point yeah. and, and and that was something that the sword told him to do like even when you're watching from the beginning of the movie where before he sees the oasis there's a calling to him you actually hear the sword uh call to him and then once the sword is near him it says Kill all the gods, go to eternity. Kill all the gods, go to eternity. It's the necrosword telling him to do these things. So, um, Greg. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to make a couple quick points on gore because I think we've had a lot of conversation. Um, I've read the Jason Aaron run. I'm a, I'm a big fan of it. I decided to go into the film with my feelings on the comic book gore set aside, and I still had problems with gore. Um, and I won't reiterate everything that's been said before, but a couple of things that I'm going to highlight. Uh, the, the first thing is gore is supposed to be this amazing balance of menacing and terrifying. Like I said earlier, he's a serial killer, but also he's very sympathetic. You know, anyone who's ever lost anything and has any shred of religion whatsoever has asked, why did this happen? Why, why did the universe let this happen to me? And all of us feel that with gore in the comics. And I didn't find this particular gore to be either sympathetic or menacing in any way whatsoever. Um, I thought that the his plan had some logical issues. Um, and it seemed like some of those issues had to do with maybe the script being a little too in love with this idea of involving kids in the story. So here, here's a here's a quick example. So I'm I'm Gore and I'm fighting Thor and Jane and I'm in New Asgard and ultimately I want to get uh, I want to get uh, Thor's axe so that I can go to eternity. So I now kidnap kids so that I can get Thor to chase me so that I can have a second shot at the axe. Well, you're already there. Why don't you just take the axe? It just, it just didn't make much sense. Like that whole that felt wonky 
to me. Why he would decide to kidnap the kids to lure Thor back to him when Thor was already there. Is it because and, is it because he wanted to lure him to the shadow realm where he has more power, maybe? I don't know. It, it, fair enough. That may, could be what that could be it. That could be it. I mean the other thing is it let Thor get reinforcements, right? But maybe it had to do with the Shadow Realm. Um the scenes with Gore and the kids felt very Disney to me and definitely notched down any kind of menace whatsoever with that particular character. I just thought they were they were silly. So I'm going to actually set Gore aside because a lot's been said about Gore. And I'm going to give one of my biggest gripes with the film. And that's how incredibly dissatisfying Valkyrie's arc was in this in this movie. Valkyrie didn't appear to have any kind of cohesive arc. It was clear from the beginning of the film that she wasn't really feeling being a king. She was more of a warrior. She had lost this great love. We learned that in the last movie. By the end of the movie, I'm not sure she's anywhere different than where she started. I, I don't know that Valkyrie's anywhere different. And I guess I'm willing to assume that maybe there's a greater plan for her in other films, but she's a mainstay of the Thor franchise and didn't really go anywhere or do anything. Disney and, Plus series, Greg. We've got to oh, make more no. Disney Plus no, series. No. no. Um, so, you know, I overall, it felt like just the script wasn't quite well thought out. Um, it felt like there were some plot issues with this film. I, I think one of the things the MCU is struggling with in general right now, since Endgame, it's always trying to kind of create these incredibly high stakes. And some of the best MCU content is when it's personal. To your point, it could have just been about Gore wanting to kill gods and that's it. And it didn't need to be this MacGuffin where you get to eternity and then, then wish all the gods die. Here's another logic issue. So I wait until the end of the movie to say, hey, Gore, instead of killing all the gods, why don't you just ask for your daughter back? And he goes, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. You could have told him that an hour and a half earlier in the film. You know, it, it just it was it was it was unsatisfying. Um, all that being said, I thought it was a fun middle of the road MCU film. It had great action, amazing visuals as a comic book fan, seeing Eternity in real D 3D. To me, I'll pay 20 bucks just to stare at eternity. I thought that visual was absolutely incredible. I thought Christian Bale's performance was terrific with what he had, which wasn't much. I thought Natalie Portman's arc was fantastic. I thought all the Mighty Thor stuff was very well done. I thought her death was really well earned. But with all the issues, I would probably be at a middle of the road taste it. Just, just too many wonky, funky things that didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. And the tone of the film was off. It just it felt a little too silly for me to take seriously. Yeah. Great points, Greg, some fantastic points there. And I agree with you that fuck man, eternity looked amazing in 3d dude. Oh my God. I wanted to crawl through the screen. I mean, it's probably one of the best visuals I've seen since seeing avatar was seeing, because there was such great depth. It was like, if you looked at the yeah. outline of Eternity, it almost looked like you could climb through the screen and just float off into space. It, it really looked amazing. It was really cool in 3D. That was an amazing visual. All right. Uh, let's hear from uh, Joe Stark. I thought this was a really fun movie. I, I'd been really looking forward to this one. And I tried to go in, you know, with, without a bunch of expectations, since I am such a huge fan of the, the source material. Um, I'm also a huge fan of Ragnarok. Uh, but to me, Love and Thunder falls short of Ragnarok's, uh, Ragnarok's heights. Um, I, if I'm ranking the Thor movies, I would put this one right behind Ragnarok. I, I, I like the first Thor movie a lot. Um, there's even, 
I kind of even have a, a, a guilty pleasure in, in the in the dark world at times. <laughs> uh, it, that movie's got a lot of problems. Uh, this one though is is at least it was fun, and it, I had a lot of genuine laughs at this. Um, uh, wow, uh, <laughs> the they really did. Uh, Taika did do Jason Aaron dirty though with the the portrayal of Gore the God Butcher. That's just such a He's a serious character and it's a serious arc. And it's, I, I just don't think that Taika was probably the best person to adapt the gore storyline. But alternatively, when you look at the Mighty Thor storyline that was adapted in this movie, it was really, really wonderful. That was kind of my favorite part of this movie was the, the rekindled love story between Thor and Jane Foster. I thought it worked incredibly well. Um, now, not to take anything away from Christian Bale, because I really loved his performance. I just wish that he could have been anything else other than gore. I mean, just call him something different. Uh, even even the adaptation they did of the Necrosword was was off. I mean, I didn't even like the look of it, how they made it look like a medieval, you know, broadsword uh, kind of look. Um, in the comics, like I was saying earlier, it's the Necrosword is like a symbiote and in when you're wearing this symbiote that's like a big cloak, mm. it can manifest weapons. But that's really what they did with Hela's power in Ragnarok. Well, so the problem is too. Again. The problem is too that if they make it too symbiote looking, they've got a problem with Sony at that point. Yes, that so. that also is. It's very clear that they are steering the ship away from anything symbiote related, which is too bad because. That's what made Gore powerful. I mean, he was just a regular person until he found in the comic. It's really cool because he comes across these two what what he believes are dead gods laying on the ground that had been locked in battle. And he picks up the sword on one of them and it kind of like bonds itself to him. And, you know, as the as the comics go on, you find out that the Necro sword was actually created by Null, who is the god of the symbiotes. And there's all this really cool Marvel backstory in there, which I had no expectation that they would get into in this, you know, aside from the depth of that, but also because of the Sony stuff. Um, uh, I, I really liked all the performances in this. I thought Chris Hemsworth and Natalie Portman, I, I loved them. Uh, Tessa Thompson, yeah, they didn't give her much to do, but I still thought she was a lot of fun in this. And, and there was some line she had, like, <laughs> when she was showing Jane all the weapons, then she pulls out the the, the Bluetooth speaker. That cracked me up. And then later on when she's playing it at the bar, <laughs> I like that that paid off. Um, I loved all the CGI characters in this, including the hammers. I thought that that was really fun that they kind of brought the personalities in from the hammers and, and having Stormbreaker be jealous and, and all the times that they just kind of floated in from off screen that, and all that kind of worked for me. Just the, the general silliness of this movie did work for me. It, the only places it didn't work was when it was concerning with gore because it was like it for, or a character named Gore the God Butcher. There's not much God Butchering going on in this movie, and it's just so silly that it, it's from that angle. It just absolutely didn't work for me. Um, the the screaming goats, even though they they got old for a lot of people, I was still enjoying it, <laughs> especially when they crash into that planet. I thought that that was pretty fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I loved all the Korg stuff in this. I thought it was funny when he was just a face and he was tied onto the back of uh, Valkyrie's head. Um, I love the music in this. I mean, I've always been a huge Guns N' Roses fan. And so to to have a movie like this with so many different GNR songs, uh, that was a real treat. Um, uh, let's see. 
just kind of scrolling through my notes and see if anything I missed. Oh, I would have really liked to have seen more of the Guardian stuff. I really, really liked all that at the beginning, but it was just so rushed. I mean, they just flew through it. I mean, in the same way that the Guardians were really keen to get Thor kicked off the ship as fast as possible, it felt like Taika was keen to just get that storyline kicked out as fast as possible. Um, <laughs> but all of that stuff was really fun. It was it was kind of great to to um, to see them in it, and it just felt like with that setup that they gave us in Endgame, it would have been more than just. I mean, what was it? Less than a ten minutes worth of footage. Um, but uh, and also, I do agree. All that stuff with the kids in this really really threw me off because they mentioned orgies three times in this movie, and so it's like, what is your target audience here? Because to have the children play such a pivotal role in the third act, I mean, this is absolutely geared at children. I don't know any adult that's going to look at that last scene with like, oh, superpowered children. Oh, a, a, a stuffed animal that shoots lasers out its eyes like it's the little baby, you know, in in, in the boys. It's like, get out of here. You've with got that. a just... girl dressed up as a princess that slices one of the shadow demons in half. <laughs> shit was just silly she slices um, it in half with a fucking princess wand i was like what in the fuck <laughs> is going on here <laughs> it's my daughter to see that <laughs> well and, and i bet she'll love it and and like i should have i should have more specifically asked my kids about that scene because i'm sure it worked great for them but for me you know as an adult watching this and also realizing this is the final showdown with the god butcher and and this is what you're doing this is well, that, 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 stuff, that stuff like works for me. Like if I'm watching a movie like Monster Squad, where it centers around kids that are. And that's what you expect going in. But yeah. this was this was a movie with two Thors, <laughs> two <laughs> Thors. And you have a bunch of kids fighting. I mean, sure, sure. He used the Odin force and he powered them all up to Thor level temporarily. But still, that was that was that was too silly. Um, so but so I'm, I'm kind of balancing this movie between the amount of fun I had with it, which was quite a lot with the, the, the valid nitpicks I have. And so for me, it just comes in as a high taste it. Uh, this is something that I really wanted to Tupperware, but I just, all those other things bother me too much. And, and also just knowing that it's, it's, it's not at that same level as Ragnarok and Ragnarok's one of my favorite MCUs. I mean, it's the highest of Tupperwares and this does not reach those heights. So for me, it's just a high taste it, but I am really looking forward to, to you know seeing this again to having it be part of my movie collection <laughs> at some point it's just it's it's just not a tupperware for me i really just wish hey, joe you're like i'm oh, sorry go ahead no go ahead i was gonna say joe like you're right exactly where i'm at because i really enjoyed this movie but i'm so fucking frustrated by it like i can't <laughs> yes. explain it <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 i just wish that the threat of the movie would have just been the necro sword itself like not the fact that you know there's this you know the macguffin for the villain is actually stormbreaker and using the bifrost to get to eternity and then you know wish away the gods it should have just been this guy has a sword that kills gods i don't know i I don't know. Anyway, I'm. <laughs> I just. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let's hear from Jake. Yeah. Um. I thought this was a more emotional movie than Ragnarok, and I thought it tried to be a more funny movie than Ragnarok, but it, it really failed in that aspect. I found the comedy to be very hit and miss, 
in very annoying ways. Like I'm used to some roll my eye MCU comedy, but some of the stuff here was a little bit unforgivable. Um, I hate when comedy's predictable. I think everyone and their mom like knew the cathedral was going to fall at the beginning of the movie. And hundred kind of percent. It was really annoying. Um, and what really bothers me is when the comedy tonally hurts the movie. I thought there was multiple scenes where the comedy detracted from some of the really strong emotional stuff. What uh, about the, the, that, the cancer jokes? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was, yeah, I don't know that that stuff didn't bother me as much as like some of the other examples I have. I, I really disliked what they did with the uh, space dolphin scene. I thought that was a really powerful scene. Jane reveals she has cancer to Thor for the first time. And then all of a sudden we're jump cutting to Korg space singing a not funny karaoke song. And then we're expected to give a shit when we jump cut back to this like really emotional romantic moment between the two characters. And I, I thought just that moment alone like ruined that scene. I was like just shocked that like an editor didn't like have a better hand in this. I, the Shadow Realm, it was awesome. One of my favorite parts of the movie. It looks so great. Why did we have to have like the entrance of it? be this big like looney tunes joke with the ship landing on the planet like why are we destroying the amazing atmosphere that we've created before we even get there like stuff like that i, I just couldn't believe was happening um i thought you know the thors were the best part of the movie i agree with brian on that like that was definitely the strength of the movie all that stuff was great um, I don't want to go too much into the gore stuff because everyone's kind of beat that to the ground. Um, I think I liked the look of gore better than most people. I had no problem with that. I thought Bale's acting was phenomenal. Um, but yeah, the story was super convoluted, super sloppy. Um, I guess I'm glad he wasn't popping off one liners like that would have been the next step too far. You know, I'm thankful that didn't happen. But yeah, none of it made any sense to me. I I had that in my notes that you you had too, Brian, with eternity. It's like I don't get it. Either your plan is to kill the gods off one by one or make your plan the eternity thing from the jump. Like why do both? It makes no fucking sense whatsoever. I get the feeling um, that as he's going around – and it's never mentioned in the movie. I get the feeling that as he's going around killing gods, he's pulling information out of them and then through killing them, he – finds out that there is a god named Eternity. Or it's either the Necrosword has told him this. from Yeah, the Necrosword told him it from the beginning because we heard the voiceover. So why are you going around killing gods when you can just get their turn? I don't understand it, Jake. Yeah, that's the part that really bothers me. It's just like it would have worked. I would have been disappointed that he wasn't going god to god to god. But I honestly would have preferred it if he would have just laid out his Eternity plan from the beginning. And that was the straight line we followed. It just kind of made no sense. It's to like they're both. just throwing us a bone, showing us that he's killing gods on screen for the people that are familiar with the character from the comic. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, he so, is killing gods. Don't worry about that. It's happening. But it's all on screens. Here you go. It happens. Don't bitch about it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I agree with Greg about Valkyrie. I have a lot of bullet points about that. I, you know, Feige himself promised us like two years ago at like one of the D events or whatever that we were going to see King Valkyrie find her queen. And I don't know if that stuff hit the uh, editing room floor or they just fucking pushed out at the end. But I mean, it was a little bit better than Ragnarok where Tessa Thompson herself had to tell us that the character was bisexual. I mean, I guess she verbally admits it in this movie and we see her kiss a girl's hand. But I, I thought this movie really kind of 
pushed out on that aspect and they could have did uh did valkyrie some more justice there um I couldn't believe how much I dislike Korg in this movie. I, he's one of the best parts of Ragnarok and it gets funnier every time I see it. Um, you know, piss off ghost and all the little fucking like rock, paper, scissors jokes and all that shit works so well in Ragnarok. And I, I'm struggling to think of the funniest Korg moment in this movie. Um, I thought the zoo stuff was hilarious, though. I thought Russell Crowe, everything Russell Crowe said made me laugh. I think I'm, I might be alone on a hill on this, but that stuff just had me dying. When he made his little dainty walk down the stairs, I was falling <laughs> out of my chair. Uh, I thought that stuff was fantastic. Um, I loved the look of this movie. Um, stuff looked really great, but there was some questionable effect shots. I thought someone brought it up. I think it was Joe. The Korg face on Valkyrie looked like dog shit to me. And like you never <laughs> see it from a fucking distance. It's always very close up. And how bad it looked took away from like how fun it could be, I, I thought. Um yeah, I thought the third act was actually very good. Um I actually thought the kid stuff was was quite funny and entertaining. I thought the lead up to it was crazy. Like I still don't quite follow the kidnapping angle 100%, but I did have fun with the payoff. Um, I did have a great time seeing this movie both times I saw it. I thought the pacing was very good. I'm always a fan of keeping a popcorn movie under two hours, so I think that was great. Um, I think I'm, I'm at a high taste it with this. As many problems as I had, I had a really great time watching it. It's only like after the fact when I sit and start like thinking about things that I like it less and less. I, I do. Um, Tristan said he liked it more the second time he saw it. I actually liked it less the second time I saw it. So, but yeah, it's a high taste it for me. I've got a bunch more stuff, but I, I want to move it along so we can kind of get to the big breakdown, you know? Understandable. Yeah. The needle never moved for me. It's been a taste it through and through. It never moved. Um, Stephanie, we had you on a previous episode. You were not a fan of Thor Ragnarok. What would you rate Thor Ragnarok? I'm just curious. Um, I'd probably give it the lowest of high taste ends. What? Yeah. <laughs> the it's lowest of high taste It's in the category. It's just at the bottom. Okay. <laughs> The lowest of high tasted. Yeah. Oh, just want to let everybody know. Like just want to that's not a rating, everyone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that is, I would consider that a taste it, maybe? I don't know. The lowest of the middle of the road high tasted. <laughs> your, your, your rating is more confusing than the plot of this movie, Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what did you think about Thor Love and Thunder? I just did not care for this movie. I'm going to give it the lowest of taste sense. Um, it, for me, it felt like its main goal was to be a comedy. And it was hard for me to get out of that cycle because there was literally a joke every few minutes. And when you have that many jokes, they need to land. And I feel like the percentage that needed to land for the movie to be considered funny to me didn't happen. And so it was a fail there. I also wasn't expecting it to feel like it was aiming to be a comedy. And so that kind of took me by surprise. And then after it did, I was like, it's trying to be funny, but it's not even funny. So that was an issue for me. And some of the jokes just felt a little played out after a while. Some of them felt like they were repeating themselves a bit too much. Um, similar to what you and Tristan were saying earlier at the beginning of the movie, I was one of those people that was like, is this the right movie? It just felt, it just felt like I, it didn't feel like the vibe. It didn't even, even after watching the whole film, it didn't even feel like the vibe of the rest of the film I ended up watching. Um, 
let me see. I'm looking at my notes. Um, I didn't care for the cameos, like the Matt Dame. I didn't care for any of that. I don't know. I just throwing things, the guardians, I thought it was kind of a waste of the team. I don't know. They didn't, cause they didn't add anything to the plot. And I feel like that was an opportunity to have them be involved in a, on a bigger scale or in some way. And they were just thrown in the beginning and then they were rushed out just as quickly as we saw them. So I'm not entirely sure what the point of that was just to say that they were in the movie. Um, I hated the kids fighting at the end. Um, I also didn't really care for the plot of the kids being kidnapped because I never felt like they were in any real danger. If you're going to use kids as a plot point, I want to feel like there's real stakes. And I, I mean, I don't think there was any real stakes. I didn't think the kids were going to die. I didn't think they were not going to come home. It was just ridiculous. And then on top of that, them fighting in the end, like the little girl with the, I think it was like a stuffed bunny and like it shot lasers out of its eyes or something. I can't remember. (laughs) I was like, this is so ridiculous. I just couldn't, I couldn't jive with it. Um, I didn't love Mighty Thor. It felt awkward to me. And I think, and that, that could be a miss for me. Her fighting looked awkward. It felt awkward. And it could be because she was, I don't know, Mighty Thor for all of like three weeks or something. But I'm, I just, I don't know. It was weird. I didn't love the explanation she gave for becoming mighty. Not, not that it didn't make any sense, but like, I feel like they glossed over that. Like he asked her initially and then they were fighting. So it was too hectic for her to explain. And then when she finally explained, it was like a very quick explanation. I don't know what I would have preferred in its place, but I just didn't. That's a fairly serious thing to have happen to like a mortal human. And like, we just kind of explained it. Say that again. Korg explained it in a, in a flashback when we're first introduced to her. They explained how she became Mighty Thor. Okay. I may have fallen asleep. <laughs> I didn't. That was a joke. Bad joke. Okay. Tough crap. Um, <laughs> no, it, it was, it was one of those Taika jokes that just didn't land, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, I liked Christian Bale as Gore. I felt like we didn't get enough mm. and I never felt like he was truly, you, like, you know, he's killing gods, but you don't really see it. And so, you know, he's a threat, but it doesn't really feel like he's the ultimate villain in the movie, but it doesn't, you don't really see him do anything super dangerous. You see him like the aftermath of you see in the beginning. Clearly that's him in the beginning, you know, the fighting of the killing of the gods or whatever, but then they just show the fallen God. There was like this big, huge monstrous looking thing that he had slain. Oh, Falagar. Really, yeah. You don't really see it. And then in the end, when he's defeated, I'm feeling like that didn't look like it was that difficult. Now, could I do it? No, but that's, it doesn't, I know it felt like it would have taken more to take down somebody who was literally slaying gods with ease before this. So it felt a little strange and not to berate the same point, but if his goal was to use Stormbreaker to summon the Bifrost to get, just to, to ask for all the gods to be killed, why not just, your, why wasn't your main goal to get Stormbreaker from Thor to summon the Bifrost in the first place? Like, killing of the other gods just seemed like a waste of energy, but whatever. Um, the gods conference with Zeus, I would have loved to see more of the gods that were in attendance. And I also did not care for, like, what was the attempt at comedy with Zeus. Um, and, like, I just didn't, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't, I, I, mean, I think it was supposed to be funny. It just wasn't landing. It was joke after joke after joke. I couldn't, I just wasn't a fan. Um, I would say, um, I, 
didn't care for the the Valkyrie, the Tessa Thompson's character, the arc. I feel like she was underutilized. I thought she looked great, but I thought she was underutilized. Sorry, that's my dog with a toy. And um, I think Korg is great, underutilized. I think it's a great character. It's one of my favorite Thor characters, but didn't really do much. Some of those jokes didn't land, but those are some of the, his lines were probably the funnier lines of the movie. And, but I did think the movie itself was a beautiful looking film. It was colorful. I loved when they went to, um, when they switched to black and white. And then when, um, when Jane was using Yilnor as like a flashlight and the areas that that flashlight was illuminating were then in color, it was very slight, but I thought the effects there were really cool. Um, overall, this movie didn't really land for me. I think it missed way more swings. Like it missed way more attempts than, um, than it landed. And so for me, it's the lowest of taste ups. Yeah. I mean, those are, those are valid points. Absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely. Some valid points there. I, uh, want to, I do want to talk about, uh, we've all rated, I, I do want to talk about this rotten tomato score. I checked it a few hours ago, may have changed since then. Uh, last time I checked, it was at a 68% for the critics. So it is fresh right now. Uh, and it's at an 82% for the fans. But I want to compare that with Ragnarok, where, you know, uh, I felt like, you know, Ragnarok was something new, something fresh. And I felt like we got a lot of the same here. Um, Ragnarok was 93% for the critics and 87% for the fans. I mean, that's a huge drop for the critic rating. Um, wow. Yeah, from do you, from do you 90- think it has something to do with the fact that Thor: The Dark World was just so shit, and Ragnarok was just like a palate cleanser. Yeah, I think it's something new. I mean, yeah, I mean, definitely, it 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 reinvigorated the character. We've got this new director taking a new direction with Chris Hemsworth. I mean, what he was able to do with that character in that movie, and how fun it was, and you know, Grandmaster and. And it was it was a blast. Thor Ragnarok. This was I felt like he just he really didn't do anything new. And then when it comes to the villain, it just it didn't live up to, you know, some of our expectations for what we were hoping to see from a menacing villain called the God Butcher. And yeah, I mean, we brought up, I think, a lot of the, you know, plot problems and things like that. I just think that this trick got a little tired for critics i think they were wanting something a little bit new yeah i agree and i feel that taika tried something new with ragnarok that was very well received and i believe that because ragnarok was so well well received he thought he can take it to another level with this movie when he should have just stayed in that pocket yeah I also want to bring up the cinema score. Uh, cinema score polls moviegoers after opening night uh, to get an idea of like how much they enjoyed the film. And then you get a cinema score. And you want an A plus or an A, or at the very least, an A minus. Anything under that, it's, it's not great. Um, this received a B plus cinema score. And uh, the only under A minus cinema score the MCU has had prior to 2021 was the first Thor movie, which received a B plus. Now 
three of their last four releases have been in the B range. Thor Love and Thunder, B+, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, B+, and Eternals with a B. I mean, Black Widow got an A-, Shang-Chi had an A. This is what I've been saying about Phase 4. I This is my least favorite phase so far because I feel it I feel it's a little bit messy um but I also think people's standards are a little higher too and they should be I believe yeah I, I believe like some of these movies that we're criticizing are still better I think than some of the phase one and two movies um that were more well received because we were just not our standards were as high as they are now I agree yeah, I, mean, I agree with that Tristan it's, I, it's I, just yeah. Yeah, sorry, Brian. No, it's okay. I was just going to say, like, you know, we can throw out, you know, Iron Man 2 should be, you know, a B, somewhere in a B. We can, but I mean, people just love Robert Downey Jr. Jr. so much. But go ahead, Greg. No, I have, I have what I call the phase four pitch. And it's whenever anybody asks me how a movie in phase four was. And I'm like, yeah, it was good. You know, it's like how I describe and react to every phase four movie. Though I will say, I think Doctor Strange I liked quite a bit, and and Spider Man I thought was pretty good. Everything else, mm-hmm. and, uh, you've brought this up on the podcast many times before, Brian. Overall, I've liked some of the Disney Plus shows, but I can't avoid the conclusion that it is watering down the brand, and it just, you know, does it still feel as special when you see that rolling? marquee in the beginning of a sort of marvel film when you see it every week and sometimes the results are fine it's fine it's it's good but i, I think they have to focus on less content and higher quality content mm-hmm. yeah i agree it's it's an overload for me I, I i mean it just doesn't feel it doesn't feel like an event anymore so um but and i want them to correct the course and some people are going to think i'm crazy like correct what course i've loved everything and that's fine. It's just I think that the the cinema scores are reflective and this score for this movie is a little bit reflective that, you know, I think that they need to hold themselves to a higher standard. And I don't know, kind of correct the course here a little bit, because I, I mean, those first three stage uh, phases, for the most part, are pretty damn masterful the way it all comes together. At the end, it's like Feige pulled off this trick and it's like, I'm really worried about phase four, five and six going forward um, right now. But maybe that's just me. I don't know. Well, I'm surprised that we're this deep into phase four. I mean, we're talking like tens of hours of, of footage into it and it still doesn't feel very focused yet on well, where is this actually taking us? Yeah. It, it feels like there's all sorts of different tendrils going out there in different places and storylines in Marvel Comics history that it, it could be going, but it just doesn't feel near as focused as the early MCU, which is shocking because there's so much more content out there to view in this phase. Yeah, and there's so much more coming, too. I mean, Phase 4 is not even done. There's so much more coming. Um, and to be honest with you, I'm not, I'm not like, opposed to the fact that, that – um, that things are not focused right now. I feel that it's okay to have these little side adventures that don't tie into the overall story. Um, but yeah, I do see a lot of people frustrated that there's not like an infinity saga that's underlining this whole thing. 
Yeah, on paper, I prefer that, though. Like, I think after Endgame is the perfect time to not have a straight line to whatever the next Endgame is going to be. Like, on paper, I do want them to kind of branch off and spiderweb into a bunch of different directions. Like, the execution may not be perfect yet, but I I still prefer this. Like, I I didn't want it to immediately be, like, step one, step two, step three into Secret War. Like, I do want to see, like just new and interesting ideas and not just a big overarching storyline going on immediately. I I totally agree with that. My biggest problem, though, is I feel like – and we're going to break down this movie. We need to do that here in a moment. But my biggest problem with all this is I feel like it gets a little bit messy when we start incorporating Disney Plus shows and then they start reiterating stuff in these movies. I feel like a lot of things that happened in Loki basically stayed in Loki and didn't take place within – the movies that we saw that deal with the multiverse, it's like it's good if you've seen the Loki stuff. But on the flip side, they had to make elements of Spider-Man um, no, um, no Way Home kind of make people understand what's going on in Multiverse of Madness. If they hadn't seen, you know, WandaVision, which, you know, uh, and, and then if they hadn't seen the Loki series, especially with the multiverse stuff. Um I just feel like the Disney Plus series is kind of taking away from like the overall just like I'm watching the movies and getting everything I need from these out of the movies that there's like we're getting characters that are introduced in like Black Widow that we're going to be seeing like in Disney Plus series like we saw Yelena Belova and it feels like a lot of the stuff from the movies they're just now they're pulling what they can and and making it into Disney Plus series and it feels like there's just a lot going on for us as Marvel fans to try to keep up with all this. And it feels like if you're bringing somebody to the movie with you that hasn't seen all these things, like we even heard Greg talk about, you know, uh, in the Multiverse of Madness review that we did, that he had to explain to his wife, like, oh, okay, let me <laughs> try to really quickly explain to you what happened in WandaVision, blah, 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 get people caught up. <laughs> it's a little... It's getting a little too, it is getting very big. It's like, it's like when you read the comics and they have an event going on and then you've got to read like these side issues for the same event. So you got a Thor book that also has like side things. And then yeah, I was going to, I was going to say the same thing is that it's, it's kind of mirroring the comics because it's like, yeah, you'll have this appreciation if you read every freaking book. But like when they have those major crossover events, you're kind of, you know, if you're if you're just a cursory reader, you're going to be a little less in tune to what's going on if you haven't read those side stories. Right. And and I think the MCU is actually going to get to a point. It's probably already there, but it's going to get to a point where people are going to start picking and choosing. They're going to skip series. They're going to skip movies. They're just going to they're not going to be watching everything. I still haven't finished What If. And I used to watch every fucking thing what uh, MCU related, mm-hmm. you know, but and I think people are going to get to the point where they're just like, yeah, I'm going to skip that one. Yeah, I don't it's think it's not all necessary. This movie doesn't suffer from any of that, though. No. And it's still not a perfect Marvel movie, in my opinion. But man, what I did love from this movie, I absolutely fucking loved. I, let's let's break this down. Um because uh, and, and we can jump all over, but uh, is do you guys think? Okay, so we're introduced to the Necro Sword here. Do you think that this could be maybe a sister sword, like to the Ebony Blade in Eternals? 
Like, yeah, that's what I'm worried about. Oh, I ta- had that written down. Yeah, no, talk to me, uh, Joe. Just the the look of it. The first time we saw it in the trailer, I was like, "Why does this look like a medieval broadsword?" Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, you. I mean, that's content we just got so recently with that that stinger at the end of Eternals. It's like that looks a lot like that sword. It also looks a lot like the Excalibur sword that they had in the Eternals ship. And so it's like, are they going to make these all kind of similar? Are they just going to have the same kind of power set? Well, the um, the sword in Eternals was calling to Dane. Just like- it was calling to him. It looked like it was wrapped in, in shadows that yes. were reaching out to him. Yeah, absolutely. It, I, 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 I think they're probably going to go that same route in, in say that, you know, oh, this – this sword that turns him into the Black Knight, that is also a Necro sword. And it's like, okay. <laughs> Collect all the swords. <laughs> exactly. The Infinity <laughs> Swords. I did appreciate, I thought it was very cool to kind of uh, mirror Jane's story with Gore's. And what I mean by that is that Gore is summoned by the sword Jane was summoned by Mjolnir. What uh, what happens to Gore is he gets uh, corrupted and it starts to slowly kill him. Thor even says that in this movie that it once it corrupts you and it will eventually kill the wielder of the of the sword. And uh, what happens with Jane with Mjolnir is yes, she does turn into Mighty Thor, but when she goes back to human form, she hasn't given her human her mortal body what it needs for the chemotherapy to fight off the cancer. And I did kind of think that that was, that was brilliant of Taika to kind of like mirror those two there. I don't know. No, it absolutely worked. Cause it, you know, in that final moment in the movie where everybody is at their most vulnerable, it allowed them to connect. Mm-hmm. And I think that was part of, the thing that allowed that Necrosword's hold to be broken over Gore, and then he was able to kind of see the light of, you know, oh, why don't I take the logical path and bring my daughter back to life? I thought the <laughs> the sword itself, uh, I didn't like the look. Um, it, it, you know, it did do, uh, it was able to summon these shadow beasts. And um, what did everybody think about, like, the, the first battle there on on? New Asgard, where Gore was basically using the shadows to, he was basically like being absorbed into the shadows and popping out of the shadows to attack. I thought that that looked like a very cool, cool effect. It looked yeah. so cool, yeah. Yeah, those were great effects, some of the better effects. Usually when an action sequence is shot at nighttime like that, it's like kind of camouflage for shoddy special effects, but I didn't really feel that at all here. Yeah. Yeah. I read somewhere that they had kids design those uh, those creatures. <laughs> I read that too. Taika had all their That's children cool. draw the shadow beast, and then they made the CGI shadow beast based off of all their children's drawings. Well, most of the kids in this movie were from cast and crew. Their kids that they had in that end battle, even down to the you know the the youngest Thor that we see in that montage running is uh, uh, Thor's youngest son. And then mm-hmm. um, uh, the, uh, the, the girl that plays uh, Gore's uh, daughter is uh, Chris Hemsworth's daughter in real life. So 
um, yeah, a lot of the kids and were uh, were kids from the cast and crew. She did really good too, right? Like you think, like oh, Chris Hemsworth's yeah. gonna shoehorn his daughter in just because he wants to. Like I thought she was very good. I had no idea that that was the case until I saw it the second time, and I kind of looked at it through a different lens, and I thought she did very well. I thought she was good too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she was great, yeah. dude. When she calls him a demon, I fucking pissed my pants. <laughs> yeah, she looks so sad about what's going on with her father too. Like I, I thought she killed it. There was. I thought she did great. And, oh, go ahead, Greg. No, I was going to say I, I didn't mention this earlier, Paul, but I do like where this film left us. I, I almost like where it left us more than where it took us. If that makes sense, you know, I'm I'm really interested to see Thor and I guess we'll call her love for now. But I'm I'm interested to see their adventures together. I, I, yeah, I think yeah. that's a really. Yeah. I w- I definitely want to break all that stuff down. And here's the thing: it's like. I agree with Paul. Like, I love that as well. It's all the stuff that's leading up to it that's really affecting my viewing and rating of this. So, I mean, yeah, all the stuff, all the stuff that kind of like happens at the end. Yeah, I, I, I kind of dug all that. Um, what did you guys think? I, you know, we kind of teased in the, the episode, uh, that we did about, uh, the, our reactions, we, te- we teased like the Jim Henson-esque looking creatures that they're fighting at the beginning of the movie. What did you guys think about like the, the owl-like, uh, <laughs> the owl-like alien race that were on the, this, like the, the Mad Max speeder bikes? I thought that was a <laughs> lot of fun. I, um, I love the look of them. They just looked so, like, like, like derpy and <laughs> it was like they were, they were, they were very funny looking, you know? Um, it was almost hard to believe that they're operating the things they're operating. My favorite part in all that, though, was the, the Jean-Claude Van Damme nod yes, with, with yes. Thor jumping up and doing the splits and stopping them and then holding them. It was it was so silly. And like, I think in any other movie, it would have been straight up dumb, but it just worked so well in this, especially so close to the scene of him riding to the battle on Stormbreaker like a witch riding a broom. <laughs> And he starts. Oh, the Harry Potter up. moment cracked me up. That was a good <laughs> laugh for me. Uh, I, I kind of rolled my eyes at that. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was it was the timing of him just looking like he was falling off the cliff and not for sure knowing whether or not we were going to see him fly. Like it, it got me there. Yeah, I rolled my eyes at that one. I was like, okay, come on. All right. <laughs> oh my god. Um, uh, I did, you know, we've got Korg kind of telling, it's, it's, they kind of bookend it because Korg talks at the end. And I, I actually said that during like one of our trailer breakdowns. Like, I wonder if these, if Taika's going to bookend this with like Korg finishing the story. And that's exactly what he did. But I did appreciate at the beginning, he's talking about like where Thor is now, like how he got, how he led up to this. And we're going through all the events of all the movies, you know, from Thor, Dark World, Ragnarok, every movie. And he gets to the point where he's talking about in Ragnarok, the death of the Warriors three. And in real life, after that movie came out, there were fans of the Warriors three that were very upset with Taika and that he basically killed them off. They had zero fanfare. And in this one, Taika doubles down because <laughs> Taika's the voice of Korg and he's basically as he's Korg, he's, I feel like a lot of Taika is coming through 
in this when he's talking about them because he talks about how they died and he doesn't even name them. That's how little he cares. <laughs> this guy and that guy. And this whatever guy died, his whatever was. his name is, that's, blah, blah, blah. That's why Taika is perfect to be a Star Wars director because he doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't give a fuck about the criticism that he's going to get. That's true. That's true. I, I Yeah. I still want to see that Taika Star Wars movie that we don't know if it's going to happen or not now with his latest comments. But I still want to see it. But I thought that that was like such a troll move. But on the flip side, I loved it because it's like, yeah, you know what? Out with the old, in with the new. The characters didn't work in the first two movies. And all right, I'm bringing in a whole new crew. And uh, I thought it was funny. Yeah, the previous one was good. Ask. I cracked up at the Enya music usage as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I have to ask, did you hear who Taika Waititi asked to be in his new Star Wars movie? Yeah. Natalie Portman, Natalie Portman Forgetting that she was already in three. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot about those. <laughs> yeah. He asked her, how would you like to be in a Star Wars movie, Natalie? She could play an <laughs> She could play an alien. <laughs> he said in a future interview that he knew when that sentence was halfway out his mouth that he had fucked up it wasn't her reminding him that she was already in a star wars movie he was like eating his words before he finished the sentence and at that moment he knew he fucked up yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man um Stephanie, I'm not hearing from you. You were basically just going over all the things that you hated, correct? <laughs> correct. <laughs> and so it's, that's what I thought. That's why I love you, Stephanie. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, um, let's talk about uh, Jane with with uh being diagnosed with cancer and you know we do get the we do get Darcy comes back for a quick moment. We do get to see Dr. Uh, Eric Selvig on a screen. They're working on trying to treat it. I keep thinking to myself, and maybe this isn't the case with the technology, but I was like, man, haven't, you know, you got to ask these questions if you're a fucking dork like me and you watch all this shit. What, don't they have something in Wakanda that maybe can treat her? I think maybe, I don't know. Or am I being too silly with this? No, that was my thought too. I, I had had that thought with Jane's cancer and then also with Sif's arm. I was like, well, so I suppose she'll be able to get a nice Wakandan arm. Uh, well, yeah, so I mean, that, Thor lost his arm in the comic run and then comes back with the destroyer arm. So I wonder, I yeah. think definitely she'll have some sort of, uh, some sort of like cool. Asgardian, uh, yeah, if she gives like gets an arm made at Uru or something like that, that would be the shit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that but, would be I mean, awesome. After we saw them, you know, fix a paralyzed guy in, in Black Panther, you'd think that that has got to be the world's premier medical site. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that is a little bit of a plot hole. Why Why is it the first place she's going for treatment, Wakanda? Yeah, but, you know, just to introduce, like, a civilization, uh, you know, basically an advanced civilization that can just cure cancer, I also don't think that that's something that they want to, you know, to do. I, I, so I'm just I'm, I'm at the I'm at the point where I just yeah, don't believe it's a bit that, in bad taste. Yeah. So I'm at the point where yeah, I just it's tough. I got to believe that they don't have the cure for for her type of cancer. Um, My crowd popped for Darcy like it was Matt Murdock showing up at No yeah. Way Home. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> I was awesome. a little bit bewildered by that. I was like, what? Maybe I, I mean, Darcy, she she's so I fresh and got fr some points in Wanda Vision. 
Yeah, she's so fresh, uh, you know, she's so fresh off of WandaVision that maybe that's what did it. <laughs> maybe there was just a bunch of three, bro- uh, two broke girl fan there. Yeah, you know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Yeah, the Darcy stands really came out in my career. <laughs> they loved her as the daughter and 40-year-old virgin Jake. <laughs> I forgot she was fucking in that. Yeah, she was the, yep. Um, the Thor and Jane dating montage I thought was very well done. Loved it. And yeah. yeah, I thought it was very necessary because like we had had, you know, scenes of, you know, Thor talking to Loki about the breakup, how it was amicable and stuff like that. But we never really saw what went down and we didn't know where Thor was coming from. We didn't know where Jane was coming from. This made it abundantly clear that Thor knows that, you know, he's going to live this insanely long life and he's get, he's falling in love and he's really worried about a time where she's not going to be there. You know, like, you got to think, like, you know, 50 years is nothing to him. It's a blink of an eye. And so he starts to put up walls and distance himself from her. And he gets, you know, we even see, like, the, the phone call that he gets from Nick Furry. Um, and uh, <laughs> and he pulls himself away from And they basically, it's it, they basically just separate. They stop talking and they just kind of separate and go their own ways and he's left with a note but i thought the whole montage was just super well done it was so authentic right like you saw them at their moment of like most passion for each other then you saw it fizzle out like and especially you know like brian you've been through it but like going through like a huge split up slash divorce it really hit a lot of notes you know like oh man dude like i really feel both sides of this like it really added to their weight and kind of really made it all the more better when they kind of shared that awesome moment on the boat in space with uh, the goats. Yeah. That's great. I I did like a real quick, Stephanie. um, I did like the, uh, she's talking about how she had to stay up all night and do this, you know, do this research and stuff like that. And he's like, I had to stay here and clean up all this. And she's like, two plates. I, I thought that that was one of the funnier moments in the movie was that interaction. Go ahead, Stephanie. No, I was gonna say, actually, I didn't mention this, but I did. I enjoyed the montage. A, a bit of a gripe I have, though, is that it was it was a significant montage, like the amount mm. of time they took to do it, which is fine. But why is that like there was other areas where you could have given us a little bit of backstory, even if it was only just 60 seconds or, or a couple of minutes. And this is where they focused all of their backstory energy on, not on the killing of the of the gods, not on her getting her powers, but of their love story. Like I was just interesting to me that spending all their time giving us backstory, this is what we get. We don't even get pieces of the other story. You're 100%, That's a little puzzling to me. You're 100 percent right. You are uh 100% right. I think one of the main gripes that we, I think most of us, if not all of us have had, is the lack of character development with Gore and like what he's doing. And I mean, maybe you can solve that with a Gore montage. I don't know. You're right. Frustrating. Yeah. I mean, that's why all of like the Thor and Jane stuff worked for most of us, if not all of us, is like we loved, you know, the love part of the love the heart of this movie. It really worked. Mm. And so, yeah, the focus was definitely there and not put on our main villain, which I mean, I definitely so baffling to me is this movie is not long and it could have easily, you know, 
they could have easily added a, a you know two minute montage or something to to, to bolster the storyline of Gore. I just don't understand it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I I mean, my my main my problems with Gore basically go back to me just wanting a whole rewrite of the character, the motivations, all that. So yeah. Absolutely, dude. You'd have to rewrite the entire Gore character to really make it work in this movie. Yeah, because I honestly, uh, the the relationship between Thor and, and Jane Foster don't change a thing. I absolutely loved it. Thought it was phenomenal. Tupperware all the way when it comes to that side of the story, which is why my rating is just split down the goddamn middle. Um, yeah, just give Gore time to kill the gods. Like, don't tell him so soon what his end game is and it would have worked so much better. Well, don't even give him the same end game that we got here with eternity. And I wanted to point out that we actually had a source back in February of 2020 that told us that eternity was going to show up in the MCU. And if you want to hear what we talk about, it is an episode three nineteen, and uh, we talk about, so yeah, we actually kind of heard from a source and we kind of, I think Jake, I think we broke that before anybody did. Yeah, that was quite a fucking while ago. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about... Check out our reactions to Birds of Prey while you're at it. <laughs> Is it on that episode? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, let's talk about New Asgard. What did you guys think about the look of uh, New Asgard? <laughs> I love the way it's being commercialized. It's so funny with the, the Infinity Cone store. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like how... Uh, uh, King Valkyrie was in an Old Spice ad. Have you and... seen the – they've been doing these Old Spice yes. ads. They've got <laughs> I was, Luke Hemsworth. I was say that too. <laughs> yeah, Luke, Luke Hemsworth is doing the Old Spice commercials uh, with him as his Thor character online. So you can check those out. It's awesome. Yeah, in small print in the bottom of that ad, it says famous Asgardian actor. <laughs> uh, it's so good. Um, I, I love how the, the town is on the upswing that, you know, you're starting to see a lot of these different roofs start to be gold plated. Yeah. And you can only imagine what it's going to look like, say, in like another hundred years or something like that. I can only imagine it looking like you know, starting to come together and really look like the Asgard that was in space, but just, you know, on the, on the shore of the, the North sea or, or wherever it's at there. Is that um, what they should be doing? Focusing on making it look like the old Asgard. I mean, with gold and stuff like that, it just seems very, um, it looks like that's what it's starting to do. You know, I mean, it, yeah. if this was like a, a Sims game, you know, they're starting off with the small gold upgrades. They got some of the smaller, you know, weird shaped buildings because, you know, that Asgard we saw in space, it was all weird buildings and, and comparing it in Endgame versus the, the new Asgard that we see here, big noticeable differences. It just, you know, for me, like looking at like what they're doing, looking at, looking at the old Asgard, looking at this Asgard with all the gold and stuff like that, it, it just seems maybe I'm nitpicking, but it seems very selfish because we look at, Look at the first god that we're introduced to here, Rapu, who's, you know, wearing a golden uh, sunburst headdress and um, living this living in this oasis and and not answering any prayers from his followers. And down to the point where, like, when he's stabbed, he bleeds gold like it's like it's like he has everything. He has gold. And I feel like it's very it's kind of flashy. In a way, and and to the point where it's like they know if they die in battle that they're going to go to a place that's made of, 
you know, uh, that's beautiful and, 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 and made of gold and, and, and I don't know. It just feels like they're falling into like their old ways again. And I'm not a hundred percent sure that they're on the right track in Asgard. No, oh, Asgard. Yeah. Well, Asgardian's going to Asgard, I suppose. <laughs> for, for, for good or not. Um, I, I love what they got going on with that display around Mjolnir note though, how they, you know, they cleared out all the earth around it mm-hmm. so that it's like on a pedestal with the glass dome and the big viewing area. And did you notice the guy giving the tour? It was Daryl. Was, yes. I was going to say it was his roommate from the short. <laughs> yeah. And it's a hundred percent. It's not him playing a new character because later on Valkyrie calls him by, calls him out by name and says that, you know, calls him Daryl. Yes. I love that. <laughs> so he, he is 100% canon. He was in the, um, team Thor roommate shorts that they had. Um, there, there was also, um, in, uh, New Asgard, there was a, uh, Simonson Street, which was named after, uh, Walt Simonson, who wrote Thor, and, uh, he's the, the creator of Beta Ray Bill. And then there was also an Aaron Avenue after Jason Aaron, who wrote the, uh, you know, Thor, um, uh, God Bomb arc and everything with, uh, with Gore, with artist Isad Ribic. So I thought that that was, that was very cool. Um, the play with Sam Neill and, and Luke Hemsworth and Matt Damon and Melissa McCarthy and and all that stuff. I thought that I thought it was I thought it was fun enough. I I, I like I, I, more, I hated this. I, Jake, I, I more so liked the the funny stage play effects that they used with like yeah. ripping the clothes off the hammer yeah the hammer crushing that's the stuff that i thought that was really funny it wasn't necessarily like melissa mccarthy jumping out of the portal it was more so like what they used i do think that like the scene after when there's the attack and and matt damon and luke hemsworth are talking about like you know the people need us. We should do a play about this. And, and she didn't say no. She didn't say no. Let's, and he's like, okay, we start. It's nighttime. The children are sleeping. I'm like, that was fun. I, I did like that. So. Yeah, that's a better moment than just regurgitating the play stuff again. I just always hate like super sequelitis stuff like that. I, the second scene was more clever. Just that would have been fun. Like we know who, you know, these characters are, these guest stars are. So I, yeah, I don't know. It just felt really jarring and out of place. Like, all of a sudden, we're just watching a sequel to a funny scene from the last movie. Yeah. I read somewhere that, uh, you know, this was all shot during quarantine and all that stuff in Australia. And I read somewhere that, like, Matt Damon just happened to be stuck there, and they included that because of that. <laughs> mm, that's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always find the actual it actual play stuff was way funnier in Ragnarok, like the actual lines that they were saying. Yeah, it made more sense why they were doing it, too, because like all this big stuff had happened. Like it just didn't seem like like Brian said, he liked the scene where a big event was happening and they were like, we need to do a play off of this. It felt like here it was like just completely unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and also in Ragnarok, it was more being done for Loki's vanity than anything else. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Loki's not even a part of this story at all. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, maybe if they wouldn't have done the previously on the way they did it, they could have done it previously on with all these actors. And that would have been a fun way to incorporate him again. But I don't know. They just there was no clever way to get this to happen again. And so they didn't even try. I do always find it funny that Matt Damon uh, plays, you know, 
Loki here, and then he was also Loki in Dogma. I always, I, I appreciate <laughs> yes. that. So yeah, that's good. Yeah. Question. So we get the attack on New Asgard. Our first introduction to Jane Foster as Mighty Thor. Was Jane Foster blipped? Yes, I think she was. Ooh. Yes, I I think she was. They I think in uh, Endgame you see her. Yeah, they had broken up by. Oh, that's right. They had broken up by Thor Ragnarok, and I. So I don't believe that it was. If you look at the timeline, they didn't break up during the five year gap, and. If you go, you make a joke at the expense. She 100 percent blimp. That's why Thor knows it's eight years, and she gets yeah, yes, three. Yes, I, I thought yeah. I assumed the same thing, Jake. That that was a blip difference. Yeah. Well, uh, comicbook.com, uh, they said that the, the script for Endgame was recently released because of award season, and in it, it indicated that Jane Foster's picture was supposed to be in the list of missing at the beginning of when the Avengers are going through the names of missing people this would indicate she did die in the snap however there is a non-canonical book that says she did survive along with darcy and eric selvig i think she did blip too and it's definitely because of the quote of the the year difference when they're talking about how long it's been since they've seen each other so i would agree yeah, there a hundred percent fuck that non-canonical shit yeah <laughs> Well, and it, it plays into Darcy's storyline in Loki also, that, or WandaVision, that, you know, she was a, a PhD by that time in, in physics. Whereas in the first Thor movie, she's just an intern that's not even interested in physics. And it really felt like, you know, she really pursued that, you know, due to the loss of her friend. But that could have just been headcanon I was making up along the way. I know we all made up a lot of headcanon while, while watching WandaVision. There's a like. <laughs> Mm, I don't mean to harp on this, but there's like, I, I feel like there's a lot of like, un, <laughs> we already talked, a lot of unnecessary jokes, especially like we get like, you know, the kids have been kidnapped and we're introduced to, to, um, Astrid who goes by Axel because he loves Guns and Roses. He's the son of Heimdall. And then we see like his floating head and they're like, you know, Kulg's like, Oh, it's a floating head over there. You know, it's a floating head of a child or whatever. And I'm just like, and then, and then he's like Axel and he's like, asshole he wants to go by is his new name i'm just like this is okay guys stop kids have been kidnapped let's get serious here (laughs) (laughs) that that asshole joke did not move the needle at either of my crowds either it just happened and then moved on like there was no reaction to it whatsoever i one of the the only i think like the only moment where i laughed with like the kids is like when when thor said you know team Kids in a cage. <laughs> like that's Yo, team kids in cages. <laughs> right? So I laughed at oh, that. Man. But uh, yeah, the kids. When Axel told him to go away with that Valhalla shit. What? Is, what? I, I must have missed this joke. There were so many. Oh, where he's basically like, oh, you guys, it's okay if you die. You're just going to go to Valhalla. And Axel tells him, go away. You're not helping. You can leave now. <laughs> oh, and like after Thor meets Zeus and he shows up and tells the kids about the whole thing, he's like, never meet your heroes. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking like the kids look at to you as their hero. And it's like, oh, OK. They react that way to yes. like, you. Like, look at their faces. They're like, fuck. <laughs> the, the jealous Stormbreaker stuff. I think that maybe it would have worked if there weren't so many jokes. But like. 
there were just so many and it's like another one and i'm just like i don't the know it's too really hit for me yeah but the, the beer thing was like overkill oh yeah the beer thing was whack yeah. <laughs> but when it just floated in from out of scene like that i don't know that worked for me i thought that, that was, was the that funniest was funny one too. that got a good laugh in my theater yeah I think the worst the kids were were with Gore and the way they reacted to him being scary. It was so over the top, kid bad. They're all like, ah, and like screaming at the same time. It was like out of a fucking Harry Potter movie. It was like, whoa, kids. Well, they were all like cast and crew like kids, right? So they weren't like really actors except the main ones. Yeah, they were terrible at that scene. Like Gore was doing his best to be scary as shit. And those kids were acting like they were watching the Disney Channel. I I laughed so hard when he took that worm or whatever and used it as a puppet because uh, in my student teacher year I had I followed a teacher that was uh, with a very unruly group of first graders that was trying to use a hand puppet to get them to calm down they just wouldn't and they ripped it off their hand and threw it against the wall and all the kids like gasped in horror and he's like well now he's gone and I'm like <laughs> oh my god. Like, I've seen this play out in purpose, like, in real life. Uh, yeah, the concept was great. It was just that the kids' reactions ruined it. Yeah, that's true. I should have got the kids from this class. But, like, I will say this. Like, I, I did want my kid – like, I, I do want my daughter to see this, but I know – and, like, this movie is PG-13, but, like, my son will shit his pants seeing gore. But he's also seven, and it's not, like, really for him, but, like – for kids, he will be a scary villain, like especially with that puppet part. But again, he's not the target audience for this, so there it is. Yeah, I mean, I I was watching this and and I had to you know kind of sit back and think like yeah, if I was a child watching this, it's 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 eye candy. There's a lot going on in this movie, especially when you get to, and I want to talk about it here in a second. Um, uh, omnipotent city. Like there's a lot going on, a lot of jokes and it's just, it's wild. Jake, I don't know about you, but a lot of Taika's visuals and stuff like that in this movie reminded me of the adventures of Baron von Munchausen. Yeah, I can see that a hundred percent. Even with like your design to mm -hmm. the shadow realm. Well, the the small planet, the small planet that they end up on, you know, Mm-hmm. The floating heads, like, you know, even like Astrid, his floating head kind of just reminded me of like a little bit about uh, Robin Williams when he shows up in that movie as the floating head in space. And just like there's a lot of like Baron von Munchausen kind of like effects and stuff. Yeah, I thought it was overall overall Gilliam inspired. I think I'm I'm the tip. I can't even say the fucking word. Um, the God City. Omnipotent really City. me of like a. Brazil and the way that they treated the rich in Brazil, like had a lot of that feel there. Yeah. So he was definitely inspired by him. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about, um, omnipotent city. Uh, this is, uh, we see a bunch of different gods within omnipotent city. I think like some of the, you know, Valkyrie's pointing some of them out. She said like, there's the God of magic. There's the, um, Oh God, there, uh, God of magic. There was the God of, I can't remember the second one, but she said there was a, the God of carpentry. And so I think she was referring to Jesus in that moment. Um, I thought she was talking about Greg. 
<laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm not a godhood yet. I need to get to 10,000 subscribers to get there. So. Was the gold dragon, was that the great protector from Shang-Chi? Mm, I hadn't made that, that connection, yeah. but yeah, very well could be. Uh, yeah, we, it made me think of Shang-Chi. We did see Bast, the uh, panther god from Black Panther. There was an Aztec god, uh, Quetzalcoatl, uh, which made me think about the direction that Black Panther, what kind of forever is taking with Namor, with him, um, you know, being being very much Aztec influenced. Uh, we did see two celestials, and those are the Mad Celestial and the Celestial Gardener. Um, I bow the God of Dumplings. I thought that that was stupid. <laughs> yeah, that I, was I laughed at bow. Um, I laughed too. <laughs> just unnecessary. Just dumb. No, it was absolutely dumb and unnecessary. <laughs> We see Dionysus, uh, the son of Zeus, one of the sons of Zeus. Uh, we see Artemis, a daughter of Zeus. Um, we see Korg's Cronin god on a throne that looks like the Iron Throne from Game of Thrones, but instead of swords, it's made up of scissors because in, because of rock, paper, scissors, which is a joke from the first Ragnarok from Korg. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and then we get Zeus talking about orgies. <laughs> <laughs> what did we think about uh, Russell Crowe with the with the Greek accent and uh, and his portrayal of, of of Zeus here? I mean, I, I thought it was delicious and the funniest part of the movie, possibly. Yeah, I, I would agree that it, it really worked for me. It, it worked within this movie perfectly. The way that he did the accent, all of his little mannerisms, it was it was all just very perfect for me. Yeah, did he I just wasn't surprised. Did I read that he was channeling Marlon Brando a little bit? I, I kind of felt that. Um, I haven't read it, but that I could see that. That makes sense. Yeah, obviously not Greek, but just the kind of flamboyant, you know, very self self sort of honoring nature. I thought it was cool. Uh, at the okay. risk of sounding like a negative Nelly, like oh, stop. I didn't <laughs> mind it. it. It felt a little buffoonish to me and then when he gets <laughs> impaled by his own thing I'm like, you couldn't bob and weave i'm like it just looked a little ridiculous to me my my he, my imax crowd when he got impaled by the thunderbolt like started clapping <laughs> that's awesome yeah i really enjoyed them and and i want to see more of them to be honest like i i thought Russell Crowe's a, you know, he's obviously a great actor, and I thought he was going to be a good addition, but I, I didn't expect to enjoy his portrayal of Zeus as much as I did. I, I wish he would have looked a little bit more mighty. He didn't look very mighty to me. <laughs> I, it totally worked into the character. Though. Yeah, yeah that, that's the joke, kind of, is that he's not as not great as, as he's being yeah. pumped up to be. <laughs> he's not as great as he too. thinks he is, you know. At yeah. one time he was, but now he's he's getting old and fat, and he only cares about parties and orgies, and in you know just celebrating their own selves, basically. Um, and, and I think him being a buffoon like really, really pays into that or plays into that perfectly as well. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I think that's the one thing that Taika kind of got right here is like, you know, when we are introduced to these gods, you know, it's like they are so out of touch with their followers. Like, like he's, he's, you know, that the people that are praying to them, it's like they, they just live in omnipotent city and they don't care. It's like, like one of the first things that he's bringing to the table is like, 
they're talking about orgies. The next thing is like, you know, what God has had the most sacrifices, you know, and it's like, wow, like they, they really don't care. They're just selfish and, and, and living for themselves. And I think Taika did that in a comical way that I think worked here for me. It's, and, and to see how different Thor is from these gods makes me appreciate Thor and Jane Foster's arc in this much more. Cause like they're completely different. Like they're not gonna, when they, if, when they die, they're not gonna bleed gold. I mean, we've seen Thor bleed blood and he, he fights for, he fights for the people of Earth. He fights for these people on these planets that, that need a god. And you've got these gods here, like Joe said, just like, you know, getting fat and, and not caring and, and just living for themselves. And I, I did, I did appreciate this kind of portrayal of Zeus. Maybe I looked into it too much, but I, I took the whole point of this scene as like, you know, if the whole movie is about Thor figuring out who he's going to be, this is who he doesn't want to be. That's, that's Thor seeing like, this was my hero. This is like somebody I've idolized. And this is what happens if you continue to age without sort of like a purpose and a direction. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I think that's there too. I, I think both thieves exist within the movie. I mean, I know I've been like seriously really praising the show, this movie, and I did love Russell Crowe's portrayal, but I also kind of thought like, oh, he's just a B list version of Jeff Goldblum from Ragnarok. I could see how you would think that this is like the version of that, but I, I thought it was different enough and poignant enough. There was an orgy joke in Thor Ragnarok as well on the ship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I can see where I you're really coming from. I really liked the uh, the visual of how Thunderbolt looked. It looked like it was out of a completely different like movie, like out of some like Flash Gordon sci-fi movie. Just the coloring of it and everything. I, I just thought that was really well designed. I liked it too. I liked how you could how it would split. I also. Um, liked how our heroes got a hold of the weapon and used it against gore i mean it and even they even thunderbolt it, better justice than they did the necro sword like oh, they made it yeah. seem more yes. powerful and important yeah yeah and i mean i'm hoping that it's a, a weapon that we're going to see valkyrie continue to use in the future also it when in the shadow realm uh the shadow realm wasn't was not able to suck the color out of the bolt no, it definitely emitted the most color more than anything. Yeah. Yeah, we got the, we got, we got to see Chris Hemsworth's ass in this and, uh, we got to see the back tattoo. Um, it said, uh, RIP Loki and then rest in mischief. Loved it. <laughs> and Korg gets, uh, gets thunderbolt, thunderbolted. And turned into a pile of rocks, and of course we can't kill Korg, and now he's a just just a face in the in the rest of the movie. Groan. <laughs> I did like how when when he was tied to the back of Valkyrie's head, though the way that it went under his nose and looked like a big funny mustache. <laughs> oh, you know that what? would have been a perfect moment to just kill him. Yeah, then this movie might have actually had a little bit of consequence in some sort of way. There's some shifting around. Somebody's moving around, and we can really hear your mic picking up right now. Um, I heard it too. But uh, oh, another thing that I didn't like, uh, like when they're on the when they're on the ship and they're and they're on their way to the shadow realm to get the kids, and 
and Thor is talking with the kids, like Valkyrie using her hair to like put under Thor's nose and tickle his nose. I was just like, this oh, that is was funny. such an inappropriate time to do that, though. It's just like it's just like another joke that does not need to be in there in that moment. Like he's trying to like calm these kids down and let them know that he's on their way, and she's fucking trying to it's like a feather under his nose trying to get him to sneeze or like you know it's just ridiculous come on <laughs> i think valkyrie just has very bad social cues like she's just not very good at stuff like that i yeah I, okay I, it's just it's just one more joke piled on to like the abundance of jokes in this movie yeah <laughs> yeah and then like i do i do think a very powerful moment on that uh ship scene was when like Korg kind of go like it was played off as com- like it, it like it was so weird to me because it was played off comedic but like it really hit to Valkyrie where like he's doing it as like a bit like as a joke but like he's really kind of talking about like you know like the like how she witnessed the like the death of the love of her life and then she's going to like the bottom of a bottle mm-hmm. to heal that. And it's like, oh, dude, like, we don't need it done in a joke form. Like, that's such a powerful moment to understand this character. Yeah. And then the next scene is Thor drowning uh, Stormbreaker in booze. Yeah. I just thought that was kind of, like, mistiming of, like, the message they're trying to make about valkyrie like looking to like you know like a substance for a way to get out of anything and then thor is like oh here's your first beer i'm just gonna drown you in it yeah i dude i mean wouldn't that that scene would have been way more impactful if korg would have like dropped you know the the funny act and really just got to the root of her problem there in it, that well, moment yeah it, exactly like as as someone in recovery it's like oh man that that really hit to me and it's like oh but this is being done as a joke like you're saying it like in such like almost song form <laughs> and then thor is just like pouring mead onto stormbreaker it's like what is happening right now <laughs> Yeah, it's. A- <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a lot of those scenes on the boat, the way they cut them, going back and forth between the two, it, it was like as soon as they would start to be getting to the emotional meat of something, they would cut over to the other pair and it would just be a joke. And- yeah, I, this whole sequence was like I mentioned it in my review. I hated it so much. It was such a powerful sequence in between the lines. But yes, every, every moment they could try to break it, they they took. Well. And like it's another, like oh, just, sorry. Just, it's like Taika just is afraid to let something just be serious for a few minutes. It's like he feels like <laughs> comedy has to bookend everything. And Tristan, that's what's interesting. Again, you mentioned Jojo Rabbit earlier, and maybe that's where it's my expectations from Jojo Rabbit affected my viewing more than the Jason Aaron run, to be honest, because I think I expected a little more balance between some of the humor and some of the it's emotional great impact. In Jojo Rabbit. It's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, just when he finds his mother, that's all you yeah. need to know. About, yeah. And just th- there was never it just felt like that balance was obviously way off in this movie. Yeah, and, like, another thing on the boat is, like, some people brought this up about, like, Valkyrie. Like, it was touted, you know, like, we're going to get – we're going to explore that, you know, she she's going to be into, like, women and all that. And that kind of gets pushed to the side. And we have this really cool thing about, like, 
Korg in a joke kind of talks about how he's made, you know, which is like a really cool moment, but it's also done in a joke. And then it's really done at the end as a joke when you find out like his partner is named Dwayne, who is a rock. And it's like, oh, it's Dwayne the Rock. Um, <laughs> you know, like it's just like, what is I happening? Right All right, I, I didn't get that joke until now. I'm, I'm the idiot. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> it's yeah, like, oh, totally missed it in the theater. Oh, my it's God. Like, uh, I didn't get it either just till fucking now. It's like it was such a sweet moment. Like, like, it, like it was so under the radar. Like it was made normal. You know, like, you know, two dudes go. They hold hands over lava. And then at the end, you get that scene. It's like, oh, his name is Dwayne. Like, oh, ha ha, he's a rock. Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Got it. Like, <laughs> is Clark's entire pe- race men? Yes. Okay. Yeah, they're all men. Yes. See, gotcha. people were laughing in my theater, but I thought it was just because the name Dwayne is so common. Same. Like, like you're Korg and Dwayne, you know? I think they were I laughing at the fact that. that this particular, you know, Cronin has a mustache. That was funny too. Yeah, that yes. was funny. <laughs> but like, I I rolled so hard when he's like, his name is Dwayne. I'm like, oh god, you fucked it up. I don't know. Between the stuff that Feige said about Valkyrie in this movie and like all the Moon Knight pre hype, it's like I can't believe anything this guy says about future projects anymore. It's all just a bunch of fucking pandering bullshit. It does feel like that. It absolutely yeah. does. Uh, one of the other things there was a. a I think it might have been a Q&A or something like that going on with the cast. And they asked Natalie Portman how gay the movie was. And she was like, oh, it's so gay. And it's like, you know, you've got some, you know, you've got some some queer characters in here. But it's like, I don't know if you would call this so gay. She said it was super gay. And then. Yeah, that's Feige, what it was. Feige doubled down and said it was like the gayest movie the MCU has ever made. <laughs> Maybe they meant happy. I don't know. I mean, there was a gay kiss in the eternal. I mean, technically, it probably is the gayest movie that the MCU's ever made, honestly. Tristan, get up on the mic a little bit more. You sound a little distant. You know what? I'm going to switch to my wires again. I'm on my AirPods. All right. Uh, we, I mean, this whole movie, Gore is trying to make his way to eternity, and... Uh, it's said that there's, you know, there's a there's a temple that leads directly to eternity. You got to get there through the Bifrost. Jane is the one that figures out this plan. This is not the first time that eternity has been teased in the MCU. Um, if you go back and watch the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie, it's uh, the planet of Morag, um, where Peter Quill is stealing the orb at the beginning of that film. On the wall, there is a um, uh, engraved on the wall. There's some artwork there. And it is uh, displays four entities that created the Infinity Stones. Uh, Entropy, Infinity. Uh, Infinity is actually Eternity's sister. And uh, Death and Eternity are all in this um, uh, artwork that's on the wall. So that's this is uh, this is something that they even teased in an Easter egg in Guardians of the Galaxy. So I found that uh, I found that interesting. Hmm. And uh, some of the things about Eternity that I was able to pull from the MCU wiki is that Eternity is a very powerful cosmic entity that exists since the beginning of the universe, possibly even before. He is the timeless representation of the universe and has unlimited control of reality, space, time, and magic. Um, 
also lives in the center of the universe. So he is the universe, he, and, he, and he's found in the center of the universe. So they were, I mean, there's so many different places within the MCU. It's like, well, uh, you know, where was, um, I can't even keep them all straight. It feels like in uh, Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, they end up in a, uh, the place where the, where the, the book of Ashanti is stored. It's like, a, um, it's like the, the place where all like the different, multi- oh, the, the key gap junction or something. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the gap junction where like all the different multiverses kind of connect. And then there's the, there's the, um, the space in between time or whatever the hell. I can't even remember what the place was in Loki where Kang's castle was. TVA? Well, not, oh, not where the TVA awesome. was, but where, where, but where Kang's castle was, where we end up in the, you know, the final episode oh, of Loki. Yeah. The Citadel at the end of think, time or whatever. Yes, yes, yes. It's a hard to keep these. <laughs> you have like no, nowhere in Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, nowhere in Guardians of the Galaxy, like that celestial was his head cut off by the Necro Sword at one time. Possibly. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Celestials, um, was anyone else annoyed that the gods just sat there and watched uh, Thor and Valkyrie and Mighty Thor just cause all this destruction and not do anything about it? No, it was, it was right looking, on brand. I, they're yeah, not there exactly. to participate. I, I that was same, some. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was somebody else's problem. <laughs> <laughs> I had the same take. <laughs> not their problem. That's kind of what they do. Yeah, uh, Asgardian problems are Asgardian problems. So, yeah, it's like, uh, well, this is your problem, Zeus. Yeah, this, this is a, this is Zeus's problem. <laughs> wasn't God Killer everybody's problem? Not yeah, they were hidden. <laughs> well, that's why they're so arrogant, right? Because you know, Thor's there, basically telling him them all these gods that have been butchered, and they're like, yeah, they're B rate, you know. What are they going to come here? They're they're very arrogant. I thought it. I thought it worked. Well, you. I mean, Stephanie, you said like, isn't you know, isn't a god butcher their problem? I mean, Zeus even kind of addresses the fact that he's aware that he's trying to make his way to eternity, and Zeus says that no one's been able to do it. He'll never be able to find eternity. He did, yeah. So they're not. They, they're just not worried about it. Do they all live there? Or they, I get the impression because no, they don't say no, in the no. movie. I get the impression they like, they like visit there for this event, or do they? All these gods live in this location. This was an event that no, they it's, it's showed a up party for spot because the yeah. you know like you know Bast from um, Black Panther, the the Black mm-hmm. Panther Wakandan god. I mean, is going to live. I would believe that you know like when we see Bast in the Black Panther movie, it's in the it's in that That's it's in that ancestral war, plane. It's in that ancestral plane where you know. Uh, where T'Challa, uh, you know, finds the heart-shaped herb, and um, am I right here? Where the original Black Panther finds, yeah, is yeah, told where yeah. they can find. Yeah, I don't them. think they all live there. And, and you know, it's funny that you guys mentioned how worthless the gods were and how you know uh, dislikable they are, because it almost makes you think that the world probably would have been better. Gorgeous wouldn't killed all the gods. It's like, what the fuck are they doing? Yeah, for the MCU. Yeah, they're I mean, not they, helping their people yeah. out in any way. <laughs> They were all just there for the gangbang anyway. <laughs> <laughs> to go back to um, going back to definition of eternity from the wiki, like that's what re- like I understood why the gods weren't going to do anything. But I mean, Brian just described how powerful eternity is. What the fuck was he doing? Like taking a nap? Like I, <laughs> he looked fucking awesome. And I agree with Greg. It was like 
the spectacle of the visual was fucking mind bending. But like when you sit and think about it, like he's doing nothing like this is he's about to be fucking killed. Does he just always What's know? He is, is it, yeah, that's that's the thing. It's like, I mean, does that wish come down to him being killed as well uh, as well? And, and does he care, though, Jake? That's the thing. It's like. You know, I guess we can say the same thing about the Watchers. The Watchers really, in the comics, they do sometimes intervene in certain ways, but... I... Maybe it's like a thing where he's so fucking smart and so ahead of the game that he already knows that, that Gore is going to wish for his daughter back and not kill the gods and potentially himself. Maybe he's just that far ahead of the game. He's yeah. like, I'm just going to fucking sit here and chill because I know this is not the reality that's going to happen. If he's omnipotent, he does know that. Yeah, it's yeah. possible. Yeah. But I don't know. It, it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Like, it was just like, ah, oh, we've waited so long to see this character, and we really don't glean too much information or knowledge about this character. Like, we learned more about him from Brian's going online than we did from this movie. And was it explained exactly how – you might have mentioned it, Brian, but how did Gore exactly find Eternity when no one else could? Oh, yeah, it was, it was, it wasn't it the Necrosword that kind of like led him there? Oh, go I ahead. It was Stormbreaker, wasn't it? Wasn't there some like fucking cave art or some shit that he saw? <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> we, like, we get the, yeah, we, yeah, cause he had like a bunch of papers. We get the, yeah, we get the reveal. Why he needed Stormbreaker though? We get the yeah, reveal he, that. Stormbreaker was the key, but. Yeah. So when when they first get to that uh, shadow realm or whatever, and Jane kind of goes off on her own, and mm-hmm. she's using flashlight Mjolnir, she comes across like a desk with a bunch of papers and stuff on it. So you can tell that he's been studying up on it for a while. I guess the question was like, how did he find out about that stuff? And I, that's something that's not revealed in the movie. No, it it just shows that he has this knowledge, and you know, it's it's uh, yeah, it conveyed in so such a way be- that he's been studying it. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, this goes back to me saying, like, maybe killing the previous gods, like, you know, Falagar, that, you know, the big behemoth that we saw slain, and some of the other gods that we saw hanging after Gord killed them. Maybe this is information that he's gotten from them. It's possible, yeah. Because, I, you, you know, you just wonder why didn't Thanos fucking go to eternity? Why didn't, uh, you know, anyone in the history of, of life. <laughs> make it to eternity before him. It just seems like he got there a little too easily. Yeah, it's some fucking genie shit. You just go there, make your one wish, and you get what you want. Yeah. Ask for world peace. Jesus. I know. Why didn't Thanos just go there and be like, I want enough resources for everybody? (laughs) Yeah, double double food. I wish for double food. (laughs) Can I ask a question of those of you who know about eternity? Is eternity an an entity or is it? Are they good or is it good or bad or it's neither? Just a cosmic entity that is under the living tribunal. And I mean, it can be good or bad depending on, I guess, what your intentions are, I suppose. I mean, especially yeah, perspective. Yeah. I mean, it only answers to the living tribunal. And the Living Tribunal has been something that they've teased in the MCU. I mean, we, uh, you know, Doctor Strange, the first movie, there's the, uh, uh, we get uh, Baron uh, Baron Mordo pulls out the staff of the Living Tribunal. 
and shows it to, you know, Stephen Strange. Um, then we also saw the Living Tribunal, like, heads that were floating in, in Multiverse of Madness. And we also got, uh, in the Loki series, a statue of the head of the Living Tribunal with three different heads on it. And then even in this movie, in the temple, there's, like, the... There's like all the different statues that are there. There's one of the Watcher. There's oh, one of yeah. Death. There's one of the Living Tribunal. There's one of, uh, I believe, Aramish, the Celestial. Um, so, and I know that there's another, there's another one. I don't know, but, um, yeah, definitely just a cosmic entity and I, really not a question, I guess, of good or bad. I don't know, unless anybody has a better answer. No, it just it kind of is. It's kind of like asking: is is the universe good or evil? Can, will it grant the wish of and like? Do you have to be? Well, he wasn't a god, I guess. I don't know what he would be considered. Can anybody? Or I'm sorry, I'm getting off tra- topic here. Forget it. I'm sorry. No, it like, seemed like it, it seemed like it was Finders Keepers that the first one to accomplish this mission got one wish. That gotcha, that was the okay. that was the MacGuffin. Yeah, I don't think okay. I don't think the next yeah. person gets one. I think Gore did it, and now it's something else. Okay. Yeah, just a fun fact too. In in the Infinity Gauntlet comic book, Thanos does fight Eternity and wins and becomes Eternity at one point, right before he loses the gauntlet. And there's this really cool visual of like an Eternity that's Thanos shaped in one of those issues. Oh, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that is a cool panel. <laughs> I, I think it was issue issue five, just to get super geeky. Yeah, it's unfortunate Perez wasn't around for that. Still, no, very sad. Ron Lamart on that one. I kept thinking to myself, like, when I was watching it the first time, I was like, why why wouldn't Gore just ask to be, like, healed from the Necrosword and care for his daughter? And I guess it's just one or the other. You can't ask for two fucking things. So it's to bring back his daughter. I also thought it was I mean, it just doesn't that, make any sense. Why wouldn't you ask for that? Sorry, Jake. Go ahead. Oh, that, you know, Gore is so upset because of what happened to his daughter that you think he'd be a bit more sensitive to kids in general. I, I thought it was a bit bizarre mm-hmm. that his, like, plan involved, like, torturing and potentially killing a bunch of kids when what made him so mad in the first place? Like, almost, is that corruption from the Necrosword or is that just sloppy writing? It's, yeah, it's both. Um, I, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I almost brought this up earlier too. Like, why do the same thing? You know, and he's even mentioning that he had a daughter to these kids as he's scaring them. And it's like, I think some of it comes down to the fact that they are, um, as guardian kids and maybe like he considers them like, you know, these, this is the future of Asgard. This is like, it's, it's the future. I'm taking the future of Asgard. These kids, like, these are the kids of like, you know, of the gods. Yeah, they're they're kids, but they still qualify as gods. Yeah. It's just unfortunate that he never verbalizes the reason he's doing that. Because like if that is the case where he's corrupted by the Necrosaur and he's oblivious to he's doing the same thing that he's mad that was done to him, then you think it would be impossible at the end of the movie for him to come to the decision to change his mind and make the wish that he made. Like he's obviously too far gone. He's ready to kill a whole flock of fucking kids. Like, I don't know. I just thought that was really sloppy shit. I alluded to this. I mean, he's a serial killer. I mean, like this is kind of plot you'd see in like Batman 66, like kidnapping a bunch of kids and putting them in a fucking cage. It it just, it just is. It's a weird fit. It's just odd. Oh, nothing so powerful happened that I ever saw why he changed his mind. 
the the way I took it was that like he 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 suffered the loss of his daughter and he knows how hard that is and by doing like all of his research again it's just me kind of reading in between the lines I guess uh you know he knows Thor is the key like at least his weapon is the key is like I know I would do anything to bring my kid back so I'm just gonna take a ton of kids yeah but I know this god is gonna do whatever he can to get these kids back and it might mean me getting Stormbreaker but it goes back to like what Greg said. It's like you had the battle at New Asgard where Thor shows up. Why not just get Stormbreaker in that moment if you can? Yeah. And I guess the only thing that I can come to the conclusion to is that he took the kids to go to the Shadow Realm where maybe he has more power in the Shadow Realm. I, I don't know. I, I don't have an answer for you. I feel like it was the kids. I think Taika had his mind up in the third act that he wanted to have a scene with kids fighting monsters. And we're going to get there any way I can. And plot be damned. And, you know, reasoning be damned. I'm going to get a girl using a fluffy plush bunny as a (laughs) fucking weapon in the end of this movie because that's me. That's my signature style and that's what I do and that's what I'm going to give you. And we're going to get there some way, somehow. <laughs> I, Im- I imagine the kids fighting was the first scene that he wrote for this movie. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, we're just going to get here somehow. It and started I, off with a with a very rough drawing of a and- it started off with a very rough drawing of a stuffed bunny is what this started <laughs> off at. And as the Hilarious. sole person, no, I'm happy for that. Seriously, <laughs> yeah, there's concept art of that that blew somebody's stack and that's uh, that's what led to that whole thing i'm sure what did that mean what did that mean sorry <laughs> it, it's wild that in what the same movie he wants to have all these kids in that he's also like let's mention the orgies three times <laughs> i only mentioned it once in the last movie i felt like not enough kids found out about this square <laughs> <laughs> can we uh can we break <laughs> no how about that (laughs) well i know what my one wish for maternity is going to (laughs) be oh god i know what my one wish is going to (laughs) be we'll be right back Hi, I sound like Morgan Freeman. I bet most of you do some online shopping with Amazon. It's just so easy. I myself logged in today to buy adult diapers. No, I'm not embarrassed. I have zero shame. And I really don't give a fuck what you think. I'm at that age. You'll get here too one day. And don't think that you won't, you naive asshat. One day you too will be just like Jamie Lee Curtis and shitting your body weight in Dan and yogurt, and the next thing you know, you'll be on Amazon ordering adult diapers saying, holy shit, that freckled face fucker was right. Anyway, the whole point of this is to tell you that popcultureleftovers.com has an Amazon shopping link. What that means is when you click on the link from their website, it helps the show. It doesn't charge you extra at all. You just shop like you regularly would, and Amazon takes care of the rest. 
It's easy and convenient, just like these diapers. I literally blew up this diaper while recording this ad. Hashtag truth. All right. Hey, we are back. And uh, yeah, we're still talking Thor, Love and Thunder. We're in the third act. And I guess I do want to talk about, um, you know, uh, kind of the things that led up to Jane Foster showing up as Mighty Thor. And uh, one of the things that I was kind of I I brought it up in the reaction episode is like I couldn't believe that they used some of the stuff from the second trailer that was like in the third act especially like with you know Mighty Thor showing up on like the Pegasus and and then there's the scene of her like you know summoning the the lightning on Mjolnir like that's stuff that we saw in that second trailer and so you know me studying that trailer and knowing that trailer I knew we hadn't seen those scenes and I think we all knew that she was going to show up I'm just surprised that they made the choice to show that in the trailer for as cool as that stuff looked in the trailer I I don't know if it was like the right thing to do I I mean I don't know especially since Marvel is so good at um keeping that third act under wraps too yeah, exactly. Like, as soon as I saw that temple, I was like, oh, I recognize this stuff from the trailer. But I did, you know... Even the previous Thor movie was so good about hiding, like, what was going to happen to Thor's eye oh. showing us when they showed us later scenes. Like, it, yeah, yeah. it's a shame they kind of broke the formula of only showing us first act stuff. I agree. I agree. Yeah. So, um, I did. A, I did like the exchange between... Thor and Jane while she's in the hospital and and um, him not wanting her to show up. He's going to go and do this alone. Valkyrie had been stabbed, you know, in the shadow realm. And and so she can't make it. Korg is a pile of rocks and just a fucking face now. So he can't go. So it's it's just going to be Thor. I mean, you know, he wants to keep her there to protect her. He knows that if she continues to, you know, summon Mjolnir and become mighty Thor, that it's going to her her regular body is going to deteriorate and uh her mortal body is going to deteriorate and she's going to die and so yeah i i i thought there was a lot of weight to the to the interactions that they had there i can't think of too many jokey moments in that scene maybe there were yeah this was a good scene like that's a hard choice for thor to make i i think you know the thor we've known from the previous movies would be like let's go let's go battle you know you'll go to valhalla and i i think thor made the right choice here and it wasn't the easiest choice for him to make so this scene worked for me too and i still think like you know we go back to like the kind of like the pact that thor made with mjolnir and you know he basically says you know i want you to always protect her and and um you know, that's kind of like what we saw here in this movie that, you know, Mjolnir, you know, called upon her and and um, not only did Mjolnir like protect her, but he also he also protected Thor, too. You know, just I don't know if that makes sense. I I felt like that's what it felt like when I was watching the movie that that Mjolnir did the right thing for Thor throughout this movie. It just having her be um I think they just have a better understanding of each other now, now that she's been a Thor, too. I think it's kind of strengthened, like, their their relationship and their love. And then um, for – oh, God, I lost my train of thought. I really had a point that I wanted to make. 
about that too. Somebody say something. I apologize. I'll, I, I'll figure I, it out. I do think it, you know, I saw some folks that were kind of upset that it wasn't just like Jane's worthiness that helped her pick up, pick up Mjolnir, but she obviously was worthy. I thought it was really sweet that this like symbol of love from Odin to Thor, then just in this passing comment about how much he loved Jane and wanted to protect her. I, I love the fact that he enchanted Mjolnir without even realizing it. I thought that was one of the more effective moments of the film. I agree. Also, what I wanted to say was like Mjolnir protecting her down to the point where Mjolnir, like at the end, um, still, you'd think that Mjolnir would be like, no, I'm, I, I don't want you to take me to this battle. It'll kill you. But Mjolnir knew that if she dies in battle, then she's going to go to a place where she can live forever as, you know, in Valhalla. Hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting take because one of my issues with the whole Milner thing was that he wasn't really protecting her if he was draining her of her life force. But you know the fact that it turned her into uh, uh, a semi Asgardian, it allowed her to go to Valhalla. So I guess in the end, he was protecting her. Well, and then also you know, kind of doing what's best for Thor in that way because like one of the big problems with their relationship is that they he wouldn't be able to spend you know eternity with her and you know he would outlive her and she would just die and and this way like you know when Thor does make his way to Valhalla she's there waiting for him that was the same way I looked at it that that by protecting Jane and going to her he was also serving Thor yeah yeah Lot to, <laughs> like in a bigger picture sense. In a bigger picture sense. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, but it is, right? You know? I like that a lot. That's a really nice, happy ending. Like if we never see Natalie Portman again, I like the way that leaves it all off. Yeah, she does yeah. show she does show up to the battle. There is um I I you know, I, again, I think the <laughs> I I think Sesame Street should have been left out of this. We didn't need all the kids there. And it would have just, it would have been way more impactful for her to show up and then have Mjolnir destroy the Necro Sword and all of that stuff with just the two of them being like uh, just a very personal fight between, you know, Gore and the, and then the two Thors. But, um, yeah, she destroys the Necro Sword, summoning down the lightning. Some of the pieces are still trapped within Mjolnir. I that effect of Mjolnir when it breaks off into the pieces in 3D Greg did it it looked amazing in my it looked phenomenal yeah I mean anytime she did that it looked incredible I mean in the 3D but um destroys the sword Gore still makes his way through the doorway to eternity and um this is where this is where we get like the big moment between, you know, Thor, like you don't have to do this. And then he, and then he's like, don't, tur-, you know, Gore says, don't turn your back on me as Thor walks away. He's like, you've won. I'm just, you know, and he knows that when he wishes the gods dead, Thor is going to die. So Thor wants to spend his last moments with the love of his life, Jane Foster. And then says, you know, basically he says like, maybe you should do the same and, and, and brings back the daughter and then, there's a promise that's made that he'll look after the daughter. And, um, that's when we get our introduction to, 
was her name Love before, or was this her? Is this her new name? I think it's her new name because we never learned what her name was before any of this. Yeah, I think Gore only referred to her like you know as his his love, though, right? Yeah, I don't think he said like you know like oh this is my daughter, this is love. He's like you know I lost my daughter, I lost mm-hmm. my love. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, go you ahead. know what I think one of my bigger problems with this Gore storyline is also is that in the comic run, it's Gore is this, this epic villain that Thor has faced many times in his life, you know, spread apart hundreds of years. Like he he fought him he fought him before he was worthy, before he ever carried Mjolnir, and he fought him again, kind of like you know the the present day storyline, and then he fights him again when he's King Thor, clear at the end of time. And, you know, so it's like this ever present villain that keeps popping back up. Whereas in this movie, it's what, over the span of three days. And then, you know, hears of Gore. Yeah. Spends a few days fighting him. And then it's just said and done. And yeah, I I really think it was a misstep for them to combine these two storylines into one. Well, what you're saying is like what the movie that you're presenting me is actually just not one movie. It's like a trilogy. Maybe it would have to be a trilogy. I mean, they accomplish it in what eleven issues in the comics, so I, I suppose how you'd have, however, you'd have to adapt it. But definitely doesn't work with another storyline. I mean, it didn't in this case. I think it's impossible to do gore like comic book accurate with just one movie. Like that's just an impossible task. Yeah. But I still think it could have been done better. Like you could have made gore a one and done villain that was enough of an homage to the the comic book gore in a better way than was presented. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely fair. Yeah. The story that you want, Joe. I mean, here's the thing, guys. The story, you can read that in the comic. They got to do something different. Am I happy with what they did? No, I'm not happy. A hundred percent happy with what they did here. They could have taken a lot of different um, ways to to show us a a more menacing gore, a, a god butcher lived up to the name. They didn't live up to the name, in my opinion. But I, we, I think we've harped on that a lot. So I don't know. I, we can harp on it some more. I'm not trying to say we can't harp on it. but <laughs> I think all of us are in, in agreement, though. None of us are the type of fans where things have to be comic book accurate. I've read the comic. It. I've read the yeah. comic. I, give me something different, but also give me something. Oh, something God. worthy. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and i i agree with what joe's saying like maybe it would have been better with that history baked in a little bit it, it's kind of weird that like thor's never seen the fucking necker sword until that one moment he's got it up against his throat like just maybe the baked in history would have made it a little bit more impressive. he had it up to his throat a couple of times right are you talking about yeah. the first time in new asgard the- the first time it happens, though, Thor, he, he like has a line of dialogue where he's heard about the yes. Necro Sword, but this is the first time he's ever seen it. And like stuff like that really cements that this is the first time like Thor is even encountering this guy at all. Like maybe the baked in history would have worked. Like maybe Thor could have given the exposition about Gore and that would have made Gore more imposing. You know, I mean, you yeah, that's one it, of my but- issues. Go ahead, Tristan. Yeah, Jake. Um, that's one of my issues with the Thor character is that he's supposed to be this being that's been around for over a thousand years, but he seems to not know what's going on and learn things for the first time within the last 10 years of everything, you know? 
I mean, if you even just look at Ragnarok again, which is the last movie, so we kind of have no choice but to compare it. Hela killed all of Thor's best friends, killed a bunch of Asgardians, cut Thor's eye out, and really couldn't be defeated without summoning Surtur to destroy all of Asgard with her on it. And Thor and Gore kind of went on a little bit of a bender, killed a few gods, and that was it. Yeah, I mean, he just doesn't... I, I don't know that I ever felt that Thor was in trouble in this film. Yeah, I agree. All right, there's somebody's doing a shifting again against the mic or something, so we need to. Yeah, I hear it too. Yeah, that was Stephanie. Pull the mic away. <laughs> somebody's shifting. I was on I'm not. I'm not saying you, Stephanie, but somebody's no. doing it. That's, that's Greg's running joke. Come on, Greg. The, these sounds I'm are sorry. Not, yeah, the, these sounds. These sounds are not coming out of nowhere. Um, yeah, I guess. Uh, I don't know. So, where do we want to? What do we want to talk about? Let's beat Gore up some more. No, I'm. We're done. <laughs> we have. <laughs> uh, do we just call him Bore the God Butcher? That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird though. He's not necessarily a bore. Like the performance no. was captivating. It's just like when you start to think about what he, the what and the why. That's when it gets all weird. Yeah. Yeah. What oh, is, is somebody popping off fireworks? That's not me. <laughs> Taika Waititi said something recently where he said that Gore was going to be like a top tier Marvel villain and. And I feel that like the the formula was there, and I think Christian Bale signed up for what was something that was more than what we got because he's not a top tier Marvel villain after this film. It's it's like everything was there to make him that, but it just didn't happen. Like he didn't have that like the 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 feelings that Killmonger elicited in the third act of Black Panther, mm-hmm. or, or even just Thanos. It's like he's not he. They didn't give him enough to make him. A, a, a villain that we're going to talk about more than a year from now. Yeah. I mean, de- better than Malekith, but that's not saying much, guys. <laughs> not much at all. <laughs> yeah, better uh, than Yellow Jacket. So now let's, I guess, you know, now uh, love has been wished back into existence. Uh, so there's been a Eternity. Eternity disappears after this, right? We don't see Eternity? Yeah takes off yeah so um i guess now we're like yeah it's the movie's book ended with korg's kind of story time to the kids and he's talking about uh you know the legend of mighty thor jane foster and uh we see uh now the children are have returned to new asgard we see valkyrie training axel at the end and um Oh, and we see uh, Valkyrie training a bunch of the kids. I'm like, why do these kids need training? They seem to have all the training in that final battle. They were <laughs> they were pulling off some very complex Ken and Ryu moves at the end of Haruka. Yeah, Haruken, um, Haruken. Uh, but uh, yeah, I. Then we get the scene of uh, of uh, love. You know, Gore's daughter. And, um, together, uh, they're, they, they're living in like, a like a ship. It, I thought it was, I thought it was like just them in the house. I guess it's a ship. Yeah, it did look it like, like it was like an apartment. 
<laughs> it looked like it was an apartment or something like that. I was surprised when it was a spaceship. Yeah, yeah. I felt they were mobile, yeah, for sure. Uh, I want to point out, this character of uh, of love is not from the comics at all, so this is a new thing. Thor is making her pancakes just like we saw Thor make Jane pancakes during the whole ro- romance montage scene earlier in the movie. And um, uh, we see her reading I thought this was weird too. She's she's a child and she's reading Jane Foster's book. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was cool. That's some high level reading. That kid's gonna be a fucking genius. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know how cool it was because I didn't get the feeling that, that from this movie that she's a genius. And I don't know how many geniuses we need in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I thought maybe she'd be better off reading a. A Dora the Explorer book or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, gotta, <laughs> I gotta imagine that's a pretty stiff book. Like when I was a young kid, I was reading like Stephen King in fourth grade and shit. But I can't imagine that that Jane Foster book. Like even Jane herself had to describe Interstellar to explain what she wrote in her book. So it's obviously very boring and yeah. cardboard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hole in a page. Like <laughs> she was, she was dead though, and was brought back to life by eternity. And maybe there's some weird cosmic awareness that she has. Who knows? Maybe they'll maybe they'll get into that later. She yeah, she definitely no. I mean, I, I was just she definitely has cosmic powers. I just didn't know. Along with cosmic powers comes this craving of knowledge from this girl who wants to wear animal slippers into battle <laughs> and. <laughs> yeah it's a little bit it's a little bit weird so it's it's a minor nitpick whatever it's it's cute that she's reading a book from jane foster and everything but um and she is imbued with powers of eternity because gore didn't have those powers she didn't have those powers before and then we see her do like the eye blast into the frying pan when we first are when she's first brought back when she's first resurrected we see the pool of water, and her reflection is that of eternity. So her reflection looks like eternity, the universe, if you guys caught that. Yeah, that part was super cool, I thought. Yeah. It, almost one of the creepier moments. And so we get to see, like, a little bit of their life together. You know, Thor is a dad. And she calls him Uncle Thor. But uh, they're going to go into battle and when she puts the boots on, and Thor is letting her use Stormbreaker. So Thor is back to using Mjolnir, and she is using Stormbreaker. So they have a child using a weapon that was forged from a dying star made for the sole purpose of killing the Titan Thanos. And so <laughs> that's an awesome visual, too, of this little girl with this giant freaking axe. I, yeah. I just I was totally loving that. It it it. Sorry. It wipes out my theory about Thor planting. Not my theory. This is a theory that's been out on Reddit, excuse me. I don't want to claim this theory, but this has been on Reddit for years. But the theory about planting Stormbreaker on New Asgard to be the new world tree, a world tree that could control the Bifrost. Um, and, you know, even at the beginning of this movie, I thought that that might be a thing because, you know, when Thor rips Stormbreaker out of the ground at the beginning of the movie. Um, somebody's shifting around again. Um, when <laughs> it's driving me nuts, this whole episode. Wait, yeah. Is it? Hold on. Did you just hear that? 
That's uh, I, I, <laughs> that was fascinating podcasting God. right there. <laughs> we're getting a one. That? We're getting a one star for this one, Jake. <laughs> there, it, this is unavoidable. The, the, right. the, the background. Oh, you know. First off, all they did was bitch about gore, and then there was this fucking pretzel bag that was being crinkled the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's Thor rips Stormbreaker out of the ground, and you actually see that the the bottom of the of the hilt was like growing roots into the ground. So I really thought that this was going to be a thing where he would plant Stormbreaker. He would get me on our back, uh, plant Stormbreaker. It would be the new world tree. Doesn't look like that's going to happen. And so I don't know where all this talk of Alpha Groot came from from Vin Diesel. Maybe that was like something that they had talked about at one time before they. Maybe this is a late addition. Maybe the daughter of Gore, Love, is a late addition and they change things around because, you know, Vin Diesel was talking about his character becoming Alpha Groot. And I kept thinking the Alpha Groot would be Stormbreaker actually growing into like the world tree. Like, uh, uh, and, you know, even James Gunn had no idea what Vin Diesel was talking about. Maybe this, and, and so, <laughs> but now they're instead they're using, um, Stormbreaker as uh, Love's weapon. So, I don't know. No thoughts yeah, on it that. Does seem, it does seem like it might close the door on that. I don't, it doesn't completely close the door on it. It could still happen, though, right? I mean, Love could potentially get a different weapon down the line. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, to, to show it with those roots on it and then not pay it off later is weird. Because that's something I've gone back to a couple times. It's like, did Thor just... You just break all those roots off. <laughs> like, why? Why show that if it, if it's not going to go anywhere at some point? Yeah, Stephanie, you had something to say. No, I was just going to say there was confusion for me not having not being familiar with the comics around now because it felt earlier on in the MCU. It felt fairly. It felt like there were rules around who could yield Thor's weapons. Now it feels like a lot of that's kind of unclear and there's two weapons now that he has controlled and both of those weapons now can be yielded by it seems like multiple people other than him not necessarily true he told the guardians in endgame that stormbreaker would basically you know destroy them like uh he said something like cave in their minds under the the uh, uh, under its power or something i'm paraphrasing but you've got to understand this little girl was born from eternity She's part God. So she can wield that weapon. She's powerful enough. So the God killer, I can't, I'm not saying it right. So he held on to it too. Does that mean because he had the sword? He yes. A certain being that can also yield it? The sword, yeah. sword called to him. And so it, I mean, he was able to, yes, the sword's killing him. But yeah, he could definitely control Stormbreaker with the powers that he inherited from um, the Necrosword. Got you. Something else about that final scene that was just, this is just a nitpicky thing for me is like, he, Thor is like, you know, air quotes, like adopted this young girl. Now he's Uncle Thor. And there was, there was a bit of like, of an exhale for me. That's like, this is another character now that I've got to introduce. I've got to keep track of. In addition to like all these Disney plus shows and all of this, it just felt like another addition, like somebody else that I need to now that is now in the mix of something that's feeling already kind of convoluted in just this entire universe and I, I just wanted to put that out there because it was a bit of a it was a cute little ending to the movie but it was a bit of a ugh, moment for me it was like another person 
who wasn't even all that interesting to me in the first place. I mean, it, I'm glad she got brought back to life, but like there was not a, the movie didn't have a lot of stakes for me. And so the, it didn't pull at my heartstrings the way I think it did for some other people. And now let's add another character. I, to the people. I think it works. And let me tell you why I think it works at the beginning of the movie. Quill is basically saying, you know, like, you know, uh, talking about like his family, which is his guardians. And he's looking him in the eyes and Thor's doing the whole thing, trying to look at, at Quill. And, and so it's like Thor has to find his own family. And that's, what we have here at the end of this, like Thor now has a family with this girl. I think it works. I, it worked for me. I think he, it, it bookended, agree, yeah. it bookended with, with, he has a family. Forgot. No, go ahead. I was gonna say, I, I get the, like the full circle moment, but she wasn't, I wasn't invested in her enough for me to feel that at the end. Like, I, I guess I felt, some kind of completion for Thor, but I'm not invested in her. Like she dies at the beginning and then we're really more focused on the kids that are being kidnapped and this person and the, and, and the, ugh, like the God killer trying to destroy all the gods and get to eternity. She's not, the girl isn't really a focal point. She comes back at the end. I didn't forget that she had died in the beginning, but she wasn't the focus of the movie. So when she comes back, it's cute that he's an uncle now, but I'm not invested in her enough for it to pull at my heartstrings. I think the way that was intended. Well, I think it was cute for, yeah. I just, I take it as she's an orphan now. You know, you gotta, you gotta keep that in mind. I mean, she, she, he, you know, Gore lost her. He went, he went through, he went, he killed gods. He did whatever he could to bring her back, gets her back, doesn't get to be with her. And here's this poor little girl that lost her dad. And, you know, I think she needs Thor. Thor needs her. Anything else, that, that's really all I need to know. Like, she needs, she needs a parental figure. She needs, she needs a, a, a father figure or, you know, someone in her life. And she needs him and, and now he needs her. And like, he needed her at the beginning of this movie. Like, that's part of this whole journey of Thor, like not knowing his purpose and, and who he is and not having a family of his own, really. And and now he has that. And so, I mean, it, I, I get what I get what Stephanie's saying. It's um, it just I think that moment would have worked a little better if Thor had some prior relationship with her before before the last 10 minutes of the movie. It just came out of nowhere. And it's like, OK, this is your kid now. <laughs> I don't, I just, I think that, I think that anybody in that moment would just look at a child and be like, and their heart would go out to them. Oh yeah, no, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's just that if this had been a kid, like one of the kids in the cages, I think it would have worked better. If it was Axel, yeah. Um, I oh, felt yeah, like it just... was Endgame coming like full circle, like especially with the conversations he had with Jane about like having kids where now it's not who he's supposed to be. It's who he's meant to be. And he feels like he's meant to be a dad. Yeah. Like this gave him, this gave him a purpose of being a father. hundred percent. Yeah. And it really kind of parallels what Odin did years ago too, by adopting the, you know, the child of his enemy. Yeah. I mean, he was a frost, Loki was a frost giant and yeah, this is, 
Oh, and this gives him and Thor a chance to do it right also by not keeping secrets from her because she knows right from the start what happened with her dad. I still think that maybe later on down the road, she could go the same route as, I'm, you know, what? I'm not even going to mention the shifting that's going on in the background anymore. I'm just going to let it happen. Um, <laughs> what else can you do? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did. Did you guys notice that the that Mjolnir had um, glittery bike tassels attached to him? No, I did not notice that. One hundred percent. Yeah. There's that ring <laughs> yeah, at the bottom cool. of the of the of the handle, and attached to the ring at the bottom of the handle were glittery bike tassels. And so, not only did she, you know, use sidewalk chalk to write on Mjolnir, uh, draw a little face, but there were. Glittery, glittery bike tassels on the handle. <laughs> um, I do, I do have a question. I just want to know if I'm way off base. So, like, we had that loss in translation moment where she whispers. You know, like they kind of made the thing of like, yeah, what her catchphrase would be. I mentioned this in the uh, the yes. reaction episode. Yeah, am I way off base that her catchphrase is "Love and Thunder"? <laughs> It's possible. I saw someone joking online that it, the catchphrase was, it's Thorbin time. <laughs> <laughs> I actually said in the reaction episode that it was Morbin time. Um. <laughs> I think it's just something silly. They have a laugh at it. I don't think it's anything super poignant. I think we'll find out what it is. I think Thor will tell her maybe when she's trying to come up with her own little catchphrase. And he's like, well, you know, I know one that you can use. And I think it'll come back in a future Thor film. So, Do you think that there's a chance that Love becomes one of the Young Avengers in a possible Young Avengers series? Yeah, for sure. And we uh -huh. get to see her grow up with maybe a another version of a kid Loki. Oh, that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, well, it does make me wonder how young the Young Avengers are, you know, because like movies take a long time to make. Is Kate Bishop? Kate Bishop's like 22 and Love is 10. I don't know. I'm just curious. Maybe, probably, but it just makes me ask questions, you know, it makes me curious. Yeah, I mean, Young Avengers, I mean, they don't all have to be the same age, right? Yeah, yeah. So. Oh boy, Kid Loki casting, that's a tough, that's a tough job. Yeah, have you, to find a they've already done it, right? That. Well, have that's that, yeah, the kid from Loki series. Um, but I, I mean, that's like a, a. I mean, in the multiverse, we could be getting a different version. They don't have to settle with that kid, right? Yeah, I, I bet they won't at this point. I mean, you need something like you need something like that little Joffrey kid from Game of Thrones, right? <laughs> That'd be yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's talk about – you guys want to jump into the mid-credits scene? Oh, yeah. yeah. All right, let's jump into the first mid-credits scene. I actually have the recording, so let me go ahead and play this. And if it doesn't come through, I can quote what they're saying. But, uh, yeah, first mid-credits scene. Just to be that being a god is Ask us for rain. They don't ask us for rain. 
Sorry. <laughs> Rainbow in the top. I love that fucking song. Anyway, yeah, so uh we've got uh this is like the most menacing that Zeus has sounded. I, I like this kind of change in the character here at the end. Definitely um, you know, very silly in the in the in in, in a, uh, the previous scene in Omnipotent City and and here he is uh um sounds way more menacing. I, I'm really digging um you know what russell crowe did here in the mid-credits scene uh and if you didn't hear all that he says they beg you for mercy without ever knowing if you're listening now they look to the sky they don't ask us for lightning they don't ask us for rain they just want to see one of their so-called superheroes when did we become the joke no no they will fear us again when thor odinson falls from the sky do you understand me hercules do you understand me my son to which we see Hercules, comic accurate Hercules saying, yes, father, as he is holding the um, golden mace. And um, yeah, this is the actor playing Hercules is uh, Brett Goldstein, uh, a.k.a. Roy Kent from Ted Lasso. And uh, yeah, man, uh, I my my audience, uh, huge reaction um, out of every crowd, except for this last viewing. But a huge reaction from my first two crowds um, with uh, seeing Brett Goldstein as Hercules and what that could mean in the for the future of uh, of Thor going forward. So I, I do want to talk about this, but I want to hear about your reactions. I'm going to start with Paul because you're a huge Ted Lasso fan. You're yeah. a huge fan of this guy. And uh, man, what was going through your mind, man? I when 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 you saw this. <laughs> So, so you name drop me in the non-spoiler review. Mm-hmm. You're like, Paul Hart's gonna love the first Cressy. I'm like, what the fuck could it be? Like, I had all these expectations, and they were blown through the roof. Like, I'm like, okay, what the fuck is happening? Like, it's it's Russell Crowe, and then we see fucking Brett Goldstein, and you know when he does like his like little stand up, I literally stood up in front of my horrified date and yelled, he's here, he's there, he's every fucking where. And I got a lot of cheers after I said that. I just screamed it out. But, uh, man, I think he looks perfect. Uh, of course he's going to be in the MCU. He's a fantastic actor. And I really like a lot of this movie felt like a standalone and it was cool to kind of see this carried through to the end credits. Like this isn't something that's like, it doesn't feel like it's going to affect a wider MCU, but it's going to affect Thor specifically. And to see Brett Goldstein as kind of like the main rival now to Thor. And they kind of hinted at that early in the movie where he's like, we have a giant target on our backs now. Like we killed Zeus. Um, and they do like, 
he looks formidable, and I was very ex- I was very excited about the reveal that Hercules is going to be a possible rival. I mean, I know in comics he becomes an Avenger, but like for a while, I think he's going to give Thor some shit, and it's going to be fun to see him and Love combat that. Um, yeah, I was I, I loved this post credit scene. I'm going to talk to somebody next who I think did not give a shit about this post credit scene, <laughs> Stephanie. I'm guessing I'm guessing you were like, okay, why do I care? But I could be wrong. Yeah, you are spot on. I thought so. And sorry, I just dropped something. And so I was I didn't get it. I obviously got that it was his son because he references that in the scene. But what I found interesting was when I got home, I looked up the character like I just schmoogle schmoogled. And what was most interesting to me about the character was, and I don't even know if this will ever be like part of the next movie or whatever, but like the metal or whatever the thing is that his, his weapon is made out of, and correct me if I misread something, Mm -hmm. was created from an attempt to recreate the, what was Captain America's shield was made out of. And this is what was, that's the metal that was created to create his weapon. Is that true? His his golden mace is actually made from adamantine. Um, it's uh, it's not adamantium, which that's what Wolverine's claws are made from in the comics. Uh, but um, it's adamantine. I mean, in 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 the comics, uh, isn't Captain America's shield made of? Uh, of of the strongest, purest form of adamantium ever created. They only made it vibranium in the MCU because they didn't have the rights to adamantium because Fox owned them at the time. Correct? Yeah, that, that's 100% so I, correct. The, I thought in the comics it's an adamantium-vibranium alloy. It's like a very specific mixture that makes it even uncuttable by Wolverine's claws and stuff like that. It that's is what like, happens. I, I, that's I, I, the third shield. The first shield is all adamantium, and then that eventually breaks, and then he has the like armband laser shield, and then he gets the mix of vibranium and adamantium. I felt like yeah, like that. Gotcha. I felt like that first shield, the recipe for that specific adamantium was lost somehow, and they were never able to like recreate that. Correct. Yeah. And that's why Wolverine's adamantium was not as strong as that specific, as that shield. So, um, but I don't think that that, that, I don't think adamantine, is adamantine the gold, the gold metal is, is, does, is that derived from adamantium? I never, I didn't think it was. I just thought it was, the comics describe it as the metal of the gods, and it has mystical properties. It uh, it can prevent uh, psychic and magical influences. It can deflect massive blasts of concussive energy. Um, I just felt like it was it was more of yeah. It was just considered the metal of the gods. Is it what the lightning bolts made out of, or no? Possibly, I don't know. What what was that she asked? Is it what was was it? Is it made? uh, Is it from the 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 thunderbolt that Zeus uses? Oh, it's probably the same metal. I would guess could be. I can just imagine 
it, it's it's equally as strong as Mjolnir in the comics, and I am just like through my in my mind, I'm like imagining these two battling each other and banging these two weapons together and it just fucking knocking them both back or knocking them both out. You know, it's going to be yeah, fuck. Yeah. It's going to make like noises like from the Lord of the Rings when fucking shit goes off, you know, just boom. It's going to sound like every Nolan trailer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, Hercules is the son of Zeus. Um, his mother was a human, so he's half Olympian but he's just as strong as Thor, can go toe-to-toe even with the Hulk. Um, I'm betting that in Thor 5, we see these two fight each other. I think they are going to have somewhat of a Martha moment where they kind of talk about their fathers and bond over that. I do think that they will start off as enemies, but I think that there will be kind of like, you know, Thor's relationship with Odin early on and then his relationship with his father. I think that they both have kind of like... You know, parents that expect a lot out of them, that a little bit overbearing at times. And, and I think that they might connect on that level at one point during that movie. Then we're going to see Zeus um, upset that Hercules did not kill Thor, refusing to kill Thor, and maybe even befriending Thor. And then at that point, Zeus is like, you know what? I'm going to send my other son, Ares, the god of war, to kill both Thor and Hercules. And I also feel like Hercules will call Thor a cunt. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) I love this prediction. (laughs) That'd be so wild. Yeah. Headbutt him and then hug him. But yeah, I think, I think, I think it'll start off with the two uh, enemies becoming friends. And then I think our big bad of Thor five will probably be Ares, the God of war thoughts. That would be super exciting. Um, I wonder if if Brett Goldstein is going to really uh, embrace the 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 Marvel workout formula and and put a bunch of muscle and stuff on, because you'd think that if he's going to be standing on screen as Hercules and be right next to Hemsworth, it's like, dude, you got some work cut out for you if you're going to be because I mean Hercules is known for his strength. Hey, I was thinking that too, but I mean, there's also a lot of camera perspectives and things. I mean, they made Jane look huge, and she's tiny. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I she, think they can pull it off. And, and Natalie Portman definitely did her share of workouts for this movie, too. No, no, no. saw some of the Tristan's, photos. She worked out for 10 months, but Tristan's right. Natalie Portman, in stature and size, is a small yeah. woman. She's not... You know, she's not Ronda Rousey or like Gina Carano size. So she's smaller. She's she's definitely not like a Sigourney Weaver. So, I mean, she she put in the work and she's got the definition, but they did some perspective stuff definitely with her to make her look bigger. That's just like what they do with it. You know, Sylvester Stallone and Tom Cruise in every movie that they're in. Oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but going back to the God of War angle, I think that that could really hold a lot of weight. I mean, that could... That'd be really exciting, and it also leaves the door open to where if Natalie Portman wants to come back, maybe they could do something where they have to go to Valhalla and get more warriors to be able to fight on their side to be able to take on the God Award, whatever sort of army he would be bringing at them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because, you know, Zeus, you know, he was was unwilling to send any of his uh, warriors to battle Gore, but at this point, now it's personal, and he wants to kill Thor. I mean, Thor made him look like a punk. 
Yeah. But what's funny, too, is it's still Zeus is still on brand in that mid credit spoiler or in that mid credit scene there, because he's saying, you know, like, when did we become the joke? You know, when did humans start looking up at the sky and praying for superheroes instead of us? It's like when you guys stopped, when you guys checked out answering. Yeah, Yeah, it's like that's when that's when then they started praying to the people that actually show up and help. So what's ironic is it's like he's calling Thor a superhero. And it's like, yeah, he's a superhero, but he's also a god. Whereas you guys are gods. All you got to do is get off your asses and start doing something. And then they're going to be calling out your names, too. So it's totally on brand for him to, to not see what's right in front of him. Oh, it definitely stays in character. You're 100% right there. It's just like his delivery was just so much more menacing than the, you oh, know. Oh, for sure. He wasn't, he, it wasn't all silly anymore. Yeah, he wasn't like the skirt fluttering buffoon we saw earlier. <laughs> yeah, he's pissed that's, off and mad finally. He, yeah, that's he actually so has some with... emotion. Oh, sorry, Tristan. Uh, let's go ahead, Jake. No, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was just saying that's why I'm so happy with uh, Russell Crowe in this role because I feel that he he can pull off both of those personas so seamlessly because I bought it. You know, I bought it that it was the same character. You know, he's this this buffoon um, seemingly, but also very threatening. Do you think there's any chance that Hercules shows up in the Thunderbolts? I'm not saying it's likely, but do you think there's a chance or are we waiting three, four years? There's definitely there's definitely a chance that he's going to be a Thunderbolt. But I. Yeah, that's a great question, because I was thinking like he could show up as a Thunderbolt, but the timing seems off. We'd really have to get a Thor movie off the ground now, you know, like in order to get because Thunderbolts is going to come first. Why would he join the I don't Why would. It's tricky because yeah, and part of me is thinking like if Tyke is doing a Star Wars movie, you know, when are we getting Thor five? It could be twenty twenty six or seven. I know, I know, it sounds crazy. I wouldn't yeah. worry about that Star Wars movie, guys. From the- I know, I know, he's even joking. He's going to get fired at this point. So. <laughs> That's an interesting question. Do, do we? Where do we go from here? Um, because I mean, if Tyke is doing a Star Wars movie. Um, and we're not going to get another Thor film for years. Does that basically mean we're not going to get the we're not going to see Thor in the next big crossover? There's probably not going to be a big Marvel crossover for what, like five years from now? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Let's wait until San Diego Comic-Con to get a better idea of where, you know, yeah. uh, we're going into phase four. Because it seems like I feel like hopefully there should be some big reveals at San Diego Comic-Con. You know, if, if uh, you know, Kevin Feige's taking it back to Hall H. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed. Well, I mean, didn't he say something like you're going to get a better idea of like where Phase Four is going here pretty soon? So, yes, yes, he said a lot of shit lately. That's true. He also said that. <laughs> he also he also said that Moon Knight was going to be the most brutal thing we've ever seen. Seriously, yeah. that background noise on this episode, I, it is driving me fucking crazy at this point. It's like yeah, it's bonkers. Yeah, it's like fucking. It's like uh, fingernails on a chalkboard right now. Oh my god. Anyway. Do we uh do we need Taika for Thor Part Five? Like, is it time to let someone else take a shot at this? They things? ain't letting him go anywhere, right? Yeah, probably not. I mean, I, I've read that this is already the fifth highest opening weekend for an MCU movie, so I, I think he's most likely coming back. But if they need to have a movie in three years, maybe they need to get someone else to take the reins for a movie. I'm behind you on that one, Jake. I was thinking along that same path, too, is do we want Taika to do another Thor movie? Do we want a third Taika 
Thor movie with even more jokes and shit in it. I mean, wh- what other if if we do get that God of War movie that that you were, you know, theorizing we could get, Brian, do you want to see a really funny chock full of jokes battle against Ares? That's what we'd get. It's exactly what we'd get. So, I mean, it, I was sitting here questioning myself, is that something that I want? I don't know. I don't know yet. um, My answer is no. I mean, right now, my knee jerk reaction is no. I would like to see somebody else do it, holding the lessons of the past in place. I think what happens if you go too serious. Mm -hmm. This is what happens if you go too silly. Find that middle ground that works perfectly. You guys gave this you guys gave this high taste. It's and now you're saying you don't even want this guy to possibly come back as the director of the next movie. I I, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, do we need him to? No, no, no. Have to be attached. I'm just okay. All right. Fair enough. It's just even asking the question, you know, I mean, I don't know. I I think sometimes I think we're I think we're a little too forgiving sometimes with Marvel. I think they really should have stepped up a lot more in this one. I think Taika should have. Go ahead. I was in the middle. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. I I was in the middle of the road. Taste it with this one. And I would still want him back because he's an amazing filmmaker. You Mm -hmm. know? I, I I still think I'd rather have Taika Waititi than the field for the next Thor film any any day of the week and like I said I was kind of eh you know on this one yeah it's not like a James Gunn Guardians of the Galaxy situation for me though I don't feel like Taika like has ownership of Thor and he's the only one allowed to make Thor solo movies I, I I feel like it would be fine to let someone else take a different stab at this yeah. And I feel that the uh, reception of this movie is so all over the place. It's not like Ragnarok. There's a lot of criticism given the tone of the film. And I, I will be very surprised if the next Taika iteration of Thor is just this again. Like, I feel that Marvel's going to have to say something about it. That B minus cinema score is not going to sit well with them. I mean, no, any, yeah. we're getting B's all over the place in phase four. And they're, but they're still making money hand over fist. Yeah. And when you add in all the money that they're making on these Disney Plus subscriptions, too, you know, regardless of if we feel that things are being watered down, Disney's in this to make money. And they are making so much money off phase four. I think it's I, I do think it's going to be I don't think Tyke is going anywhere at the end of the day. I don't think he's going anywhere. I think it'd be hard for them to let him go. He is a talent. But. I don't he's a great filmmaker. He's, he's, he's truly talented, but I feel that they just gave him a little bit too much free range. Like, I feel he needs to be reined in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree yeah. with that. Like, yeah. I don't I'm not saying that I want to see somebody else on it. And I love the movies he makes. And like I said, I had a lot of fun with this, but I can also see where it could have been better. And so I, I hope that he takes those lessons to heart and Kevin Feige does and and they can meet in the middle and, and come up with something that is. You know, a, a tad more serious. Um, you know, you can still give me plenty of, of, you know, funny stuff. I still want to see a Taika movie, but yeah, I, I would be totally okay with him reining it in a little bit on the next one. I, can you? Uh, here's the thing. Where am I? I don't know if anything of what I'm about to say makes any sense. I can. I. I, I think to myself, like, what would a what would a Taika Waititi Captain America movie be like? And Part of me is like, man, that might it just might be unwatchable. Um, 
and then and then I think like, what would this movie have been like if if maybe like the Russo brothers? I know they're gone and they're not doing anything yet. Maybe we can get them back for Secret Wars. They've kind of teased that. But like, what would a Russo brothers Thor movie be like if you had like directors like the Russo brothers in here doing this? Like, what would their version of gore have been like? I gotta imagine it'd be amazing with their it'd track great, record. It would be better, yeah. right? Yes. Oh, without a doubt, it would have been better because it would have been that serious take on it. Like, imagine a real serious take like what they did with Winter Soldier, but with the gore storyline. hundred. Like, wow. That's exactly what I'm thinking in my head is like, oh, my God, look what they did with the Winter Soldier in that movie. And it's like, man, give them control of gore. And I'm thinking... I'm thinking the Russo brothers. Do, I, I know this is just wishful thinking, and and but I don't know. It's hard to let a guy like Taika go. He is such a visionary, and he has his signature style, and his you know when his comedy hits, it hits. But, yeah, it just needs to be paired with the right characters for him to write. That's why it worked so well with Jane in this movie, but it just didn't work as well with Gore. Gore is not a silly character, and to throw him into something that's silly, it just made for kind of some jarring transitions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's what's interesting yeah. is that the audience is all over the place. There are people that love this movie and then others who hate it. And I, the general audience from what I'm gathering and what my theater reactions were is that people generally like this movie. So I'm wondering if people are now going to expect Thor to be this slapstick shit, like going forward. Like if you change it, are they going to be upset? Yeah, no. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. It doesn't need to be devoid of all comedy, though. Sure. Like, obviously, it's still going to be humorous and funny. I think it just went a little bit overboard here. Yeah. They just need to find that right middle ground. I think, like, this is, like, the biggest kind of, like, dip for me. When I think of, like, directors in the MCU and, like, their second entries, like, I compared this to, like, you know, Joss Whedon doing the first Avengers and then what we get in Avengers Age of Ultron. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Iron Man 2 was Favreau, too. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. There's a huge dip there. So it's kind of like that sophomore slump, I think, for Waititi uh, here um, for me. And a lot of people are, are not going to consider it like a sophomore slump. You know, a lot of people just loved it. Like more jokes, more this, more that. They loved it. I just felt like I was watching... You know, the same stuff that he pulled in Ragnarok. And I did want him to take a little bit of a darker approach in certain and and, and have some more serious moments and uh, mixed in with the with the humor. We're just we're saying the same thing. So let's uh, let's move on, I guess, into like the the next uh, post credit scene. Oh, wait, I did have uh, quotes from Taika talking about the decision to cast goldstein as hercules he said kevin really wanted him to do it and yeah brett's amazing he's great ytd also said that he doesn't know the specifics about hercules future in the mcu saying that it is unknown if the tease at the end is meant for quote future thor movies or something else entirely and i don't know if that's to do with thor or if it's to do with how that will develop because obviously, Hercules, there's a character from the books as well. And so, yeah, this will be interesting to see because Kevin, he's obviously the mastermind of all these threads and how they'll tie up and how will they how they meet, mix and match. So I'm curious to find out myself. 
Um, the MCU director also teased, uh, also talked about the excitement of the audience at the film's premiere when Hercules showed up, quote, and it was such a cool moment in the cinema where it played that people went nuts. They were so excited. And yeah, I, 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 I was blown away the first time I saw it. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that we're getting Roy Kent in the MCU. This is incredible. Yeah, it's you so rare very... that we get surprised by anything these days, too. So it was just such a delight to not only not know we were going to get the character, but not know the actor that was going to be attached. It was just like my jaw dropped. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm glad you read that quote because that actually brings up an interesting question. This might not be leading into the next Thor movie. It could possibly lead into the next Avengers movie since it's a threat against superheroes. Totally. Hmm. I didn't think of that. <laughs> the next big event is all these lazy gods against the Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> Let's jump into the final post credit scene. And, uh, yeah, um, we see, uh, you know, at the end, at the end of this one, we saw Jane disintegrate into like those gold flakes, just like we saw Odin and Frigga. I guess that should have been our first indicator of like, you know, her ending up in Valhalla. But I'll play the audio from this one. I hope it comes through okay. Jane, I see you're dead now. <laughs> Both those clips came in great, by the way. Okay, good. <laughs> see you're dead. See, oh, I, <laughs> that's not my favorite line. Anyway, <laughs> I see you're dead. Hey, thanks for looking after my kid. <laughs> <laughs> that was a solid. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for doing me a solid there, Jane. <laughs> Oh, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Jane Foster is, uh, now dead and she's, uh, at the gates of Valhalla and she's greeted by Heimdall and, um, yeah, uh, as guardians with an honorable death in battle can enter Valhalla and, uh, she's basically an honorary as guardian since she received the powers of Thor. Um, I liked this quite a bit because, does tie back into some of the things that we saw earlier in the film. There is the scene in the Shadow Realm where Gore has tied up our heroes, Valkyrie Thor and Mighty Thor, and he's talking to each of them separately, brings up the death of the Valkyries to Valkyrie, makes her cry. And then he gets to Jane Foster and he says, you know, you're different. And then he says, you know what? You're going to do what the gods want without eternal reward. And you know what? He was proved wrong because that's exactly what Jane Foster gets at the end of this. Proving Gore, you know, isn't 
a hundred percent correct in his um, uh, assumption, his uh, estimation of all the gods here, because I, I think it also shows that that Odin has probably changed since his death as well. Uh, I think that she was probably granted uh, passage into Valhalla from Odin. That's actually who I thought was going to be meeting her there, especially because the last time he spoke to her or around her was in Thor the Dark World where he did not want her in Asgard. He was saying she's a she's a mortal. She belongs on Midgard. Get her out of here. And for him to be on the other side welcoming her to Valhalla, I felt like that would have had a real, you know, emotional impact. But then, you know, seeing that it was uh, Heimdall, I was like, well, I guess his kid was in this, but I still like I like my head cannon better. Uh, maybe they tried to get him and they couldn't because of scheduling. Possibly. Uh, that's a was, good point. I was thinking that as well. I mean, he's really getting up there, so he's not going to be bouncing all over the place to make a cameo in Thor, you know? Yeah. yeah. Our crowd did explode for Heimdall, though. Same. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins didn't even show up at the Academy Awards when he won Best Actor. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Paul, what were your thoughts here? Uh, it's the same thing. It was a huge, like, this was both times I saw this, it was the biggest pop of the crowd. I just thought it was so deserving of the hero we saw of uh, Jane, because at least for me, the question was, well, she kind of died, like, not directly in battle. So will she have that fitting hero's welcome? Like, it reminded me a lot of Yandu, you know, like how he was able to get the colors and the fireworks at the end. So I was really happy to see that, you know, especially with her knowing the stakes that if she joined Thor in battle, it would probably be her last time alive. And it paid off for her. And I just... I love seeing Idris Elba back. Uh, I thought this worked on every level for me. I love the visuals of uh, Valhalla. And I was like, there was an interview where she said, um, you know, people are saying there's a scene, which is one of the most visually stunning scenes from this movie. But in reality, it was shot in the parking lot of a Best Buy. And I'm trying to think if this is the scene that was shot in the parking lot of a Best Buy with a green screen up, but I, I, I adored this scene. It, it was a fitting end for the way she went out and how she just put everyone else above her needs. I, I loved it. That's why there was a geek squad car in the background of Valhalla. <laughs> That's hilarious. Thank you. But I never put that together, Paul. That's wild. <laughs> <laughs> I got you to Dwayne the Rock joke to now why the Geek Squads and fucking Thor Love and Thunder. Yeah, why is there a Geek Squad <laughs> Easter egg in Valhalla? That is so bizarre. <laughs> I guess Odin doesn't know how Just to hook a... Odin doesn't know how to hook up Short his sleep. JVC speakers. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't know how to connect the Bluetooth. <laughs> I really like with a black tie and a short sleeve shirt. <laughs> I thought it, I thought it was a Mormon. <laughs> is it mormon or a geek squad <laughs> what, tomato, if, tomato. what if they both showed up at your house at the same time it's <laughs> what do i i got the mormon guy connecting my surround sound and i got the geek squad i don't what's going on here <laughs> what do i do my surround sound sounds like shit 
Anyway. All right. Um, <laughs> Stephanie, you hated this, right? I did. <laughs> I actually really liked this. I okay, I was just—I just thought it would be—I I thought it would be par for the course for you to hate this. So I—you I, I, know what happens when you assume. Go ahead, go ahead. I Sophie. actually really liked the scene. I like seeing Heimdall again. This—I have something that made me hopeful, but that I have a follow-up question for you. So there was like a sense of like hope that maybe the characters that are in Valhalla may not be lost to us as viewers forever or is that do you think this scene was just a like a, a like a nice ending for um for jane's character to show that she finally made it or do you think this is maybe like a slightly open door to the prospect of seeing these people again that have gone there i think the next time we see her she's going to be getting a fabulous asgardian makeover and it's going to be a montage of her different putting on different outfits and shopping and but no kidding um <laughs> In the comics, Odin does bring her back to life, and she uh, later becomes a Valkyrie. So I think that even Natalie Portman, she says she doesn't know. I'm going to get to her quotes here in a second. She was interviewed by the LA Times. But I think there's a big chance of them leaving the door open here. I think it really... I think that we could take this as... You know, like they haven't signed anything with her yet, but they're leaving the door open. It could end here because like this is a fitting ending for her. She just ends up in Valhalla. But if they can work out scheduling and things like that, I definitely see them bringing her back and maybe even going that Valkyrie route. Uh, I was also surprised to see Idris Elba because I thought he was done. And I didn't I didn't hear anything about him making an appearance. I don't know if anybody else read anything, but I was surprised to even see him. Mm-hmm. I thought he was completely done with um, the MCU. Yeah, it sounds like he's kind of softened a little bit, right? Over the last few years with his character of Heimdall. Yeah, I think he's warmed up to it. I think there was a time where he was bitter about limited screen time Mm -hmm. in in earlier things. But I think he's really warmed up to the character. I think the fans have really been very receptive to the character as well, too, which probably makes him feel good about coming back. Dude, and he went out like a boss in fucking Endgame, dude. Yeah. 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 That that helped a lot, too. Was it Infinity War? It was Infinity War. Yeah. Infinity War. The very Infinity beginning, War. yes. He went, out, oh, yeah. he went out like a badass, man. <laughs> yeah, no doubt that was going to land him in Valhalla. Yeah. Um, Natalie Portman uh, commented on her potential future. Uh, this was an interview with the LA Times. Uh, she praised director Taika Waititi's notion to disregard any rules about what comic book movies are supposed to be, especially looking at the flexibility he gave Jane as a character. She noted how her version of the hero is very much... Quote, the interpretation of what a feminist character would be in a story such as this one. Quote, I love Taika's ability to not have any rules about how a comic book movie is supposed to be. Having that kind of free form and free possibility is so lucky and really lucky for Jane as a female character in particular. He really made room for her to be ridiculous and weak. And she didn't just have to be this kick-ass tough girl all the time which I think is sometimes the interpretation of what a feminist character would be. As far as where Portman could go with the role in the future, she expressed an openness to come back, 
to reprise her role should the right opportunity come up. Quote, I am open to anything. It's such a cool character and I feel like anything is possible. In regards to Waititi's views on Jane's character and the arc in this film, he didn't see this movie bringing in Jane Foster to replace Hemsworth's Thor as the God of Thunder. He says, I think a lot of fans are going to potentially assume, oh, okay, this is the passing on of the torch. I'm not privy to any plans Marvel has for the future, but I don't think that's the case. So, yeah, at one time, I think we did speculate like, oh, is, you know, is Chris Hemsworth Thor character going to die and they're going to pass it off? And the more we learned, the more stuff that we saw from the trailer, I don't think that we thought that anymore. But, yeah. He he talked a lot about wanting to spend more time with his family a couple years ago as well. Like he was really hinting that he might take a big break at one point. They've done a lot of bending over backwards though for him, you know. Yeah. As far oh, yeah. as like you know, filming in Australia and then also, uh, you know, he, now they got his fucking kids in these movies. They made an it made him an executive producer on this <laughs> one. So you know, they made his kid in the entire. Go ahead, Tristan. His uh. His wife was the uh, woman on the wolf. Oh, okay. Oh, shit. I had no idea. I was just going to say that, yeah, they certainly bent over backwards for him. They, they had the entire shoot in Australia, and yeah. then they put his entire family in the movie. Yeah. I mean, you can't beat that. Get to spend time with his family and, uh, you know, filming in Australia. You cannot fucking beat that. Um, rumors about a possible future project with uh, Mighty Thor. Uh, Great Phase 15 on Twitter said they are definitely giving Jane Foster Mighty Thor her own project. Heard something that definitely points to it happening down the road. So we'll see if that pans out. Great Phase 15 on Twitter has been picking up a lot of traction with some rumors. One of the rumors that I read from uh, Chipu.com is that Marvel plants Korg solo series. <laughs> See if that happens. Korg is very Disney Plus appropriate. Yeah, totally. They're also I like- could see that working far better in Disney Plus than it would on as a, an actual movie. Um, do you think it'll be with, with, with him and, and Dwayne? In, in their little rock baby, like, I wonder what a Korg series would be. Joe, I, when it happens, I want you to tell me about it because I will not be watching it. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> Maybe it's him, like, telling stories, like, narrating different stories across the MCU. Oh, so. that sounds like a huge waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm not excited about a Korg solo series. <laughs> Disney Plus is really starting to get to the spaghetti on the wall phase. Like they're pitching all sorts of wild stuff. If this rumor is true, um, who, yeah, I want to hear. I, wouldn't it be wild if Stephanie was excited for this though? Like that <laughs> oh, would be. I can see it. That would be wild. Like Stephanie has like had like major problems with a lot of this stuff going on in this movie, but like. The Korg solo series, like, this is, like, where she's, like, yes. Go, go ahead, Stephanie. I would totally watch it. I would totally watch it. <laughs> I love Korg. I think it's, I agree. I think it's Disney Plus appropriate, and I would watch the hell out of it. <laughs> you are an enigma wrapped in a riddle. You're like a turducken of mystery. <laughs> what the fuck, Stephanie? You blow my mind. What the- 
<laughs> what if it was like 16 episodes? Like just an obnoxious oh number of episodes. <laughs> <laughs> we have a 34 episode season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's ridiculous. Uh, what's the future of Thor? Uh, this is from Slash Film. Producer and Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige recently spoke at a press conference for Love and Thunder, where Slash Films' Y-Tran Bowie was in attendance. Discussion came around to the future of the Thor franchise and the possibility of other Thors beyond Jane and Chris Hemsworth's character entering the fray somewhere down the line. Feige said, there are things called comic books that have a lot of stories in them, and that's where all of our stories come from. And if the question is... Have you told all the great horror stories from the comics and movies? The answer is no. There are lots of them, and I've always said to our, uh, are interested in making additional stories is somewhat about continuing the character. It's almost entirely about continuing the experience with the actor and being able to see, I think, all of our cast not as their individual characters, but as the Marvel players who within that character can grow and evolve and change. And if we look at the comics as our guide, there are plenty of other incarnations of Thor that we have yet to see. Joe, is he talking about like possibly like, you know, King Thor? Old Man, King I Thor? I hope so because that character's rad. I mean, or maybe he's just talking about Frog Thor. <laughs> you know, but <laughs> I'm with you, Joe. King Thor is fucking awesome. I mean, if, if, if Chris Hemsworth is wanting to play this character for the next, you know, 10, 15 years, I think we could get there. Oh, without a doubt. And can you imagine how cool it would, it would look if they, I mean, even in your idea, like an aged up Chris Hemsworth, and then they just do what else, what else they got to do to, to make him look like that. But man, in the comics, like Thor, number one in the comics, I think always looks pretty cool, but King Thor, it's like a whole different level. He's like gotten way bigger you know, he's got the all white beard, all white hair, big eye patch. Uh, just looks like he has seen some shit. I mean, it's I, I always love seeing that character in the comics. It'd be so exciting to see it in live action. Yeah, yeah, I agree, man. That'd be awesome. I I think that I think Chris Hemsworth will get us there. I think I think he will not stop until we do get like an old King Thor. I think it'll happen. <laughs> it's gonna be epic. I think that is all I have, guys. I don't know if you guys. No, I don't. I got one more thing. They this comes from Dark Horizons, and it's about the um, the deleted scenes. They they talk about. Uh, they say in the wake of the premiere of Marvel Studios Thor: Love and Thunder, it has been confirmed several actors that had been linked to the project did not appear. Filmmaker Taika Waititi has himself admitted that he finds his movies in post, and as a result, some roles that may have been significant early on are either sidelined or cut out completely. Uh, one name that has come up out of the blue is Game of Thrones actress Lena Headey, who, according to Variety, is being sued by her former UK agency for alleged unpaid commission fees for three projects, including the new Thor. Um, in part of Hetty's official response, she reportedly says the role came about after YTD approached her directly. The trade outlet confirms Hetty does not appear in the final cut of the movie. She's not the only one who doesn't appear. Actor Christian Bale, who plays the film's villain Gore, confirmed to Prenza Escenario via Total Film that both Peter Dinklage and Jeff Goldblum films uh, filmed scenes for the film, 
but did not make the final cut. Uh, quote, I got to work with Peter Dinklage. That's not in the final film, but he's fantastic. I got to work with Jeff Goldblum. He's not in the final film either. As you see, a lot of stuff end up on, uh, end up on the cutting room floor, even though it's beautiful, brilliant stuff. Yeah. That's interesting. Gore's in the scenes with those characters. Is he killing them? Yeah, he probably kills Eitri. He's probably getting information from him about Stormbreaker, which could lead to why he's got notes on it. That's a really good theory. Yeah, that makes uh, sense. That's how that, we know, right? That makes yeah, sense. And it, it'd be tragic to see him killed because he was already the last of his people. That makes sense, Paul. I think you're onto something there. Ooh. 100%. Yeah, finally, Paul. Kidding. <laughs> I contributed. <laughs> it's Thor Le- it's Thor Love and Thunder, and I helped. So I helped. <laughs> yeah, so the Grandmaster Grandmaster Jeff Goldblum filled some stuff for this, and it also didn't make it into the movie. I mean, there were rumors. We did I mean these are things that we reported in previous episodes, Jake. You know, the Lena Hetty thing was something that we we had heard, you know, that it had been leaked that uh, that she had an appearance in this, and then also we had heard, you know, rumblings that Peter Dinklage would also be in this. We we might have talked about Jeff Goldblum showing up in this, or maybe we just speculated. I can't remember, but yeah, this is, but it's crazy. Yeah, none none of them made it into the movie. Do you think we'll see any of this stuff, like on the uh, you know Disney Plus special features or anything like that? I think it'll be on the on the Blu-ray, the deleted scenes. I would imagine. Yeah, not, even the stuff with Lena Headley. No, I mean, no, 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 no. See that, right? Not the Lena Hetty stuff. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, the no. Lena Hetty stuff was so expensive for them because I think someone calculated how much she got paid for it because she's being sued for uh, royalty or, or like a percentage she was supposed to give, and that percentage indicates that she made like seven million dollars for this cameo, <laughs> and that they edited her out of it. That's a very expensive edit. Do you think nice. she? Who did she show up as? Was she the original Hella, and then they got Melissa McCarthy to do it instead? I was about to say that. <laughs> maybe, maybe well, she was uh, Valkyrie. Yeah, my mind went to the, the acting troupe, yeah, or maybe Frida in in the in the play. Such a downgrade if she was supposed to be Hella. In the comics, Gore has a wife that also dies. I wonder if there was more to Gore's backstory that they shot. That's a great prediction because I really see her being oh. a more serious character like that. Yeah, because there was so much serious shit in this movie. Well, the Gore stuff. I'm kidding, Jake. It was just a yeah, joke. Yeah, yeah. I was I was not knocking you. It was just a joke. Um, I, that makes sense to me too. That she could have been like uh, Gore's wife, maybe just cut from the film completely. Yeah. Guys, that's all I got. I don't know. Did you guys have any final thoughts? I thought the makeup on Jane with the cancer was really well done. Like, she looked for real sick. And I was just like, oh, my God, they did such a great job on that. I I wonder if they're going to come out with the uh, Sideshow Collectibles Cancer Jane. (laughs) I've already got. Oh, my God. I've got mine on pre-order, Jake. (laughs) You know, with Jake. With Jake saying that and going back to the Taika with TV quote of, you know, making her also 
look weak. I do think those scenes of her in battle, especially at the end, and then kind of dropping the hammer and transforming to the state where she had cancer were very well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I gasped every time we saw her in that condition. I, they did a really good job with that makeup. Yeah. You regretting that joke now, Jake? No, I'm very proud of it. <laughs> I did not care if I got a single laugh. I was like, I am making a dark cancer joke. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. All right. Well, overall, d- despite all the, the gripes I had about it, I still think that this was a, a fun movie. And it is something that, that I think on rewatches, I I can shut off my brain to the parts I didn't like and, and focus on the other things. I'm still really looking forward to seeing it again. I'm just going to call you glass half full Joe. <laughs> That's very yeah. accurate. Yeah. Just... <laughs> I do. I do try to be an optimist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, I, yeah, man, I, 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 I took what I loved and, and about this movie and uh, what I hated and it is I'm right down the middle with this one. So, um, yeah, it's uh, – I don't know. You know, Tristan, you talk about the rewatchability of this one. I don't know how much I w- I'll be rewatching this one going forward. I'm looking forward to seeing it again. Like it's frustrating, but it's – I had a lot of fun watching it. And yeah. It's a very – it's a very easy watch too. It's not long and it's fun. It's colorful. It's not like a daunting watch. My advice is to go back to the theater and watch Top Gun Maverick again. anyway that's all we got guys i want to thank all of our guests today joe where can people find you man yeah you can find me on my podcast startcast it's a long form conversation show i have guests on and we just kind of talk about whatever comes up uh new episodes generally drop every saturday you can also find me on twitter at the tubby ninja paul where can people find you Apple Store Oranges posting the new feed, so check us out every Thursday talking all things Apple. The fruit, the actual fruit. You guys talk the fruit. Yeah, we're talking about like Macintosh and Granny Smith. Yeah, and mandarins. We got all yeah, your totally. we got we got all your fruit news here. We got the fruit news <laughs> from apples to oranges. Fruit news. You want to try the halos? We got the we got the information for you. <laughs> You know, speaking of Marvel and the Mandarin, I love the oranges. But I don't know about you. What do you think? Right, anyway, this is, I, that was that was dumb. That was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I don't that it, it, you're laughing at how stupid I am. All of you. It's still a laugh, right? <laughs> yeah, a laugh's a laugh. That's a laugh, dude. Brian, you're you're just you're a human clown. Um, Greg, where can, where can people find you? I have a, apparently not on this podcast projects with the dragon. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's a you big, can hear me? no, there's a huge pause there, Greg, where can people find you? I apologize. Oh, sorry. No, that's okay. I have a, uh, a YouTube channel <laughs> called amazing home projects with Andy Greg and, uh, Am I, did, am I, is my sound off? No, you, no, you pause, anyway, giant paused again. <laughs> I, it's your internet. It's your internet is not. I did? Yes, you did. I don't know what you're uh, asking right now. I, I don't know. 
You know what, everybody? You can find me an episode. I go to the emergency room. I, I feel like I need to go there myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! <laughs> there he is. He just he just heard the joke in in real time. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> So are we going to rate the movie? You know what? And you guys can find you can find Tristan on uh, previous episodes. You can find him here as a as a future guest. Same thing with Stephanie. But you guys do appearances on other podcasts i've i've heard tristan on um on start cast same with stephanie stephanie shows up on episodes of uh scenic cast movie reviews so uh I, stephanie and tristan i want to thank you guys so much for joining us on our thor love and thunder episode thank yeah, you happy, yeah happy to be here and um i'll be on Starcast again in september right joe yep got another one coming up Oh my god! I love the immediate responses from listeners and get, excuse me guests <laughs> of the podcast that actually have working internet. It is, it is. <laughs> it's like a night and day difference there, Jake. It's wild. <laughs> I was hoping it was going to be really awkward for Tristan there, and Joe was going to be like, "Eh, we had to cut you." <laughs> Let me see if I can remember my schedule. Let me take this real literally. <laughs> Tristan had a very pleading sound in his voice. Do I? Am I? <laughs> like, I'll tell you what, if you don't, you do now, buddy. <laughs> no, I, I I remember texting with him about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would have been like, yeah, Tristan, we're busy in September as well. Um <laughs> 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 Tristan, I just see Tristan holding like a cardboard sign that says we'll podcast for food, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Greg will get this one in about 10 seconds. We're going to hear like this random laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Until next week, we're putting a lid on it. Fucking Christ. We're back to this again. Guys. (laughs) (laughs) See ya. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Leftovers. Congratulations. I don't know how you did it. I couldn't do it. You people need a T-shirt saying, I just listened to two hours of nonsensical crap. Anyway, if you'd like to reach the Pop Culture Leftovers cast, you can email them at comments at popcultureleftovers.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at PC Leftovers or like their Facebook page. They'd love to hear from you. They're all pretty sad and lonely. One of them is homeless, but I didn't say that. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about pop culture and all that. It's a trap. Gonna toss it, gonna taste it. Do we love it? Hey, let's fix it. Hate it. 
embrace it, let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carry over, counterculture, push over, pop culture, leftovers. And with the uncool kids, what's to say has already been said, leftovers. Be sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this, pop culture leftovers. Podcasts that are original and good have already been done before, so we should separate the wheat from the chaff and do the chaff, the crap, even though it is shit. Woo! We're the leftovers picking up the scraps, dropped by the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. Good and toss it, good and taste it. Do we love it? Hey, let's face it, can't erase it. Let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carryover, counterculture, pushovers, pop culture, leftovers. And with the uncool kids. What's to say has already been said Leftovers Pretty sure that the only talent Is the band that's singing this Pop culture leftovers Do we love it? Hey, let's face it, can't erase it. Let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carry over, counterculture, pushovers, pop culture, leftovers. And with the uncool kids, what's to say has already been said. Leftovers. Pretty sure the only talent is the band that's singing this pop culture leftovers.